Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. Don't worry, Wilson. I'll do all the podcasting. You just hang on. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Thank That's you. That's like okay, Hank's yell right there's that there's that quality in his voice he's yelling where it's like ah come on yeah you gotta get into like the you're you're like into your solar plexus you gotta get it's the boss yeah right i was gonna say it's midwestern but he's he's like a california guy right like he's not a no no he's from iowa is that possible oh Really? I'm That's seeing a, a California exceedingly possible for Tom Hanks to be from Iowa. It does sound right. Maybe he moved. I don't I know. No, he he's a California boy, Griff. He's really? California. Conquered California. Uh, Conquered, what is that? Was, What's the energy of that place? Because yeah. California is okay. very, you know, runs the gamut. It is big. It seems closer to the Bay Area. It's probably like east of San Francisco. Yeah, okay. Okay, yeah. It's like... It's like 30 miles east of San Francisco. Huh. I don't know. I'm not a California person. No, no offense to California. I just like, I, I am an admitted novice in terms of. Are you guys both vibe. in New York? Uh, We're both New Yorkers. Yes. Mm. Wait a second. But David, I thought you grew up in London, England and spent your entire <laughs> life in England. You didn't grow up in New York. You lived in England exclusively we, until you we were have this exciting guest. You're starting this crap like right away. <laughs> it's so fast. Oh, it's, my God. Yeah, I, lived in I mean, David, I heard you got knighted. So that's very exciting. Hey, wow, yes. The Queen's honors. <laughs> <laughs> well, OBE is that's like uh, you're, that's not a knighthood. That's below a knighthood. Right. right? That's, there's uh, like that's four like, levels. So I can't call you Sir David. I mean, you can you could if you wanted to, but it would be highly <laughs> you inaccurate. Could. You, you could. know, like there is that brief period where Ben Kingsley apparently insisted on being credited as Sir Ben Kingsley. Yes. Yeah. But that is seen as I think largely seen as gauche. Usually you don't want to put it in the title. The other thing I heard was that he would insist on being referred to as Sir Ben. Sir on Ben. Set. I, I don't mean, know if I would drop that, but there was certainly a period I think yeah. where he was feeling himself after the knighthood, and he wouldn't <laughs> let people call him anything other than Sir Ben. Sir Ben, yeah, I like Sir anyway, Ben. I am um, not Sir Ben. I'm looking this up. It says that he was born in Concord, but they moved mm. a lot, and it okay. says okay. this line here because I remember yes. going over this with Richard. Yes, by the age right. of ten, they'd lived in ten houses. Okay, oh, so right. he. They moved all over. His dad was maybe an academic, so yes. maybe that was part of it. An etymology professor. Did you guys listen to that? Um, that uh, I think the Daily episode at the early on in the pandemic, they were trying to give people like some light at the end of the tunnel kind of stuff, like some nice every Friday a good story. And a journalist did a story about her interviewing Tom Hanks, and I think she like started crying right. or something. Yes. Yeah, and he talks about that. his niceness, perhaps coming from the fact that he had to move all the time and, and, you know, mm. adapt and get people to like him. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. And so that, that completely that, tracks. Yeah. That makes he's, sense. He, that, that totally he was like a sense. career new kid. So yeah, he exactly. had to develop a, a really acceptable geniality. It's also, it speaks to his weird all American quality that like, he must've just lived in a bunch of different regions at formative ages in a way that he just sort of crosses over because you're right, you're like, what is he? He yeah. doesn't feel like he belongs to any coast. 
Um, it, well, it's just, it's why you, whenever you see him give an Oscar speech or whatever, you're like, it's kind of crazy. This guy like never ran for president. He just sort of yeah. has that vibe that, that yeah. very, but wait, what were you going to say? He's the president of Hollywood though, I guess. Um, mm, right. He's, um, uh, well, I don't know what I was going to say. Um, oh, he feels at once like completely general, like, mm-hmm. and, and at once incredibly specific, like incredibly specific. He's right. a total, like, he's such a one-off in, in so many ways, but especially amongst modern movie stars. And I know now he's like an elder statesman, but even if you look at him in the class of like the eighties and the nineties, in terms of the range of what he did and how odd his sort of movie star persona is mm. because his his persona as a public figure is like president of Hollywood, Mr. Nice, right. you know, yeah. Mr. Professional. But then that isn't necessarily what he plays. Like, by and large, he doesn't exclusively coast on his charm in that kind of way. Mm. There's a period when he did. Yeah. I would say then he kind of swerved away from it. That kind of like Apollo 13, you know, era, you know, the mid 90s era, he was maybe. Co- and this is sort of the end of that a little bit. Maybe. What, what does he do right after this? Because after this, he does Road to Perdition, which is oh, like, yes. you know, oh, he's making, he's playing someone yeah. who kills people. Like, yeah. even though he's a sympathetic so character, <laughs> like, right, yeah. right. And, and Catch Me um, If You Can, where he plays the conflict, where he's the annoying character. Wait, which one was that? Yeah. Catch, Catch Me If You, you Can. can. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, where he's and the then, guy who's stopping the movie star from being in a cool movie. Yeah. Right. And then after that, the lady killers, he definitely, right. In the 2000s, he's like, well, mm. I shouldn't just play like you know, iconic figures of Americana, like forever. Mm-hmm. Like he's definitely, but Castaway is a little bit the hinge point. Like he goes into the movie, the, you know, like mm. friendly sweater wearing guy that yeah. we all know and love. And he comes out and he's like, I've, I'm changed, man. Like, I don't Although, know. I don't know what I'm going to do with myself. But the beginning of the movie, he's literally just like yelling at a bunch of Russians. Like, he, he, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Boss, I we got to get these packages, boss. Yeah. It's so, I was, because I remember him, I remember what you were saying, David, like, he's so like, oh my God, Tom Hanks, at, at, you know, the, his warm, love, lovely, loving self. And then I was rewatching it um, this morning and I was like, oh yeah, he's just screaming at a bunch of Russian people. He's nice to that kid. But then I remember thinking, I had to Google, like, what is his job? Like, what is he, why is he, does he have to do this? Like, <laughs> I was so confused. Did, did you find anything out? Because I feel like the movie doesn't, except that he engineer. works at FedEx. Right. right. Yes. He's but like the like, logistical I, guy, like, trying to shave five right. seconds off of everything. Exactly. Right. right. But I was right. like, well, I don't understand right. why he has to keep flying places. Um, I should preface all this by saying I'm obsessed with, I love Castaway. And I'm also obsessed with the fact that um, Zemeckis shot an entire film. Which is an amazing film, by the way. I could also just talk about that um, well, for right. seven yes, hours. Yes. Um, and then comes back and, like, is a better director and, like, shoots other half this movie. Like, it's crazy. How many well, other examples are there no. of that? It's so no, crazy. I, yeah, this right, is kind yeah. of it. Well, uh, I sent you a list of some of the movies that were open when you graciously said you would be uh, willing to appear mm-hmm. on this podcast. And you immediately went, like, cast away because I can't get over the fact yeah, yeah, that yeah. The movie has a sure gap, the, and he's stuck in a whole other movie in between. Yeah, no, I had to because What Lies Beneath wasn't available. I think, right? It must yeah, not have I been. Think, yeah. yeah, I actually, when I was shooting um, uh, Candyman, my DP and I, John Gulasarian, we like sat down and watched What Lies Beneath, 
Because um, mm. I, I had mentioned it for some reason, and I was like, no, that movie's actually really good. And I hadn't seen it for a while. I was like, no, that movie's really good, and it's really well shot. And he was like, oh, no, I watched it the first time two weeks ago with my wife because she made me watch it, and it's amazing. And then so we watched that, and that was, like, weirdly became, like, one of our, like, references <laughs> for Candyman. And then um, and then Castaway, I rewatched last summer, too. And I was just like, damn, this movie. Yeah. Um, oh, shit. I love that they just travel together. Like, I don't know, man. Whatever you're doing, right. I'll do. All right, I, I Don, think, come on. <laughs> I think that was a, a big part of it. I mean, it will have come out by now, but as of the time of this recording, I have not seen... Uh, what lies beneath, and it's one of the few Zemeckis I haven't seen that I've been looking it's forward very good. to. It's very, it's very enjoyable. And it was so it underrated when it came out. Wait, yeah. all right, Griffin, introduce our show, introduce, introduce our guests, the and show. let's get back to it. Oh my god, we didn't introduce the show yet. Dear oh, god. we never did. We, we're always terrible at that. And hey, you're already a great guest because you started talking immediately, which is what we like. The most, <laughs> the thing that makes us uncomfortable is when we're talking. And the guest doesn't know if they should speak. And we're trying to, like, gesture to, like, you can butt in at any time. You immediately I listened to an episode like that recently, actually. <laughs> you, you took the volleyball and ran with it. Uh, this did. is a podcast <laughs> called Blank Check with Griffin and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. And I'm it's about filmographies. <laughs> it's ignoring me. Ignore no, me. perfect. Perfect. Uh, it's a podcast about filmographies. Directors who have massive success early on in their career and are given a series of blank checks and make whatever crazy passion products they want, and sometimes those checks clear, and sometimes they crash. Baby. Uh, <laughs> this is a mini-series on the films of Robert Zemeckis. Uh, we've gotten to the namesake of this mini-series, Podcast Away. Mm. And our guest today, director of Little Woods, director of the upcoming Candyman, Nia DaCosta. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having me. This is so exciting. Uh, no, this is very exciting. I we were talking. This show. That that is uh, so nice of you to say, and uh, it is the only thing that has made me question your judgment as a director. But <laughs> that's weird. Uh, it's a bad opinion. But um, <laughs> we we were talking right before we started recording because uh, uh, you and I worked together on vinyl. In yeah. that uh, you were an office PA and I was one of the uh, absolute lowest ranked cast members. You're one of our esteemed actors. What do you mean? I, I mean, I, I was uh, <laughs> number 40 on the list of esteemed actors on that show. One of the many problems with that show. Too many characters. Too many that people. show was so insane. And I remember, and I have a lot of respect for everyone who made that show, but I remember being Absolutely. the pilot and just being like, I guess. I mean, <laughs> we can do this yeah. yet again. You know, <laughs> perfectly put. Everything about that show was, I, I guess, if if they think so, right? Yeah, yeah. But it was like the like the best cast, like the best cinematographers. Oh. Fuck, even the AD, like this guy, like it was so. And for me, it was really exciting because it was my first like big like scripted show. I was like doing reality before that. It was really fucking exciting. Actually, one of the reality things I did, you also were involved in Griffin. What? <laughs> so what I mean, not, I wouldn't call it reality. I call it like I guess it was like one of those clips, like uh, Talking Head clip shows. It was a pilot was that didn't the... get picked up. Twenty oh, versus thirty. Do you remember this? Yes. Yes. Jesus. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> like, but I mean, our interaction was very limited. I was like, oh, that's the guy from Trivia um, Videology. Right. So this is what okay. we had to talk about. Right. This, right. this yeah. is what we had to talk about because uh, uh, you've been this uh, humongous uh, rising star in the film world, <laughs> Candyman. Everyone's so excited about. I, for one, am particularly excited that the movie is uh, being delayed because yeah, I can't wait to see it in a theater. I think that's yeah. a great decision. I support it wholeheartedly. <laughs> um, but uh, your face was like popping up everywhere. 
And uh, I had that thing where it's like, if you've worked on enough shoots, you sometimes have a hard time placing. Like, yeah. I know I've talked to that person. I know I've worked with that person, but I can't remember which set it was on. And then I DM'd you and was like, you worked on vinyl, right? That was mm-hmm. it. And you were like, yeah, I've just started listening to the podcast. This is such a weird coincidence. Asked you to come on the show. Great. But then you revealed <laughs> right before we started recording yeah. that you were a trivia person yeah. and that you used to like, uh, view David and I with disdain. Yeah, we, we used like, to lament your arrival to to <laughs> trivia. We're like, fuck, we're not, we're not, we're not gonna win this. We're definitely not. We wouldn't have won anyway. But we just knew if you guys were there, it was, was gonna remember, be a mess for us. I remember there was one NYU team that was good. Like that was the, you that guys were heavyweights. That wasn't our team. Okay, <laughs> Actually, okay, you know what? Okay, maybe it could have been. I mean, the best trivia teams I'm on is usually when I only know half the team because the half I know, right isn't going to be helpful. I'm really wow. bad at trivia, film trivia. Wow. Like I used to be really insecure in film school about not being like well-watched enough and whatever. Uh, apparently it didn't matter, uh, but yeah, I love trivia. It's so fun. We would bring so many people like to the trivia, just, just whatever for fun. And mm-hmm. they would leave being like, I, that's it's I'm too stressed out. Like I just yeah, feel right. stupid now. Like, <laughs> I, I get that you guys enjoy that, but it's just hard. And I, I just sit there being like, well, why don't I know this? Like yeah. it was, it was not easy trivia. It, not. it felt like, no, it was really intense. And like every week we would sort of have like five of our regulars and maybe one open spot. And we would constantly try out different friends of ours, many of whom <laughs> later become regular guests on this mm-hmm. podcast. And they would be like, I get it. I, I can't do this on a weekly basis. This is too much. And David and I were in the state of like getting there at like 4 p.m. when they opened so that we could have first dibs on the booth. So we came out there for four hours. Yeah. Like you would show up with your laptop, David, and like write pieces or I would fucking do I whatever. Love. And then, yeah. and then we'd be there for another four hours doing <laughs> trivia. Yeah, I would do nothing. Um... <laughs> But but here's the thing, Nia. Uh, we David and I got started going. We've talked about this too many times. But uh, that trivia night is entirely why this podcast exists. It's the reason David oh, wow. and I became such close friends. We had only hung out once before the night that we went to trivia together, and I love that. became obsessed with it. And we're like, we need to center our entire lives around this. Um, <laughs> and at the beginning, it was just the two of us, and we mm. couldn't even place on the charts (laughs) and it was this ascension to us being like a team that could break the top three i love it the first time we ever came in first place and like people were excited for us they was like oh the underdogs and and there was the distinct moment after like a year when we won our like third championship in a row and everyone gave us like side eye when david and i looked at each other and we were like we have to leave We've become <laughs> they the have assholes. somewhere else, yeah. <laughs> no, but truly, we were conscious about the exact thing you're describing. Of like, people hate us now. We're Camp Mohawk. We suck. Uh, no, yeah, it was pretty much. Yeah, that's how we felt. We were like, yeah. screw that. No, I'm kidding. No, it was very much just like, oh, and like we weren't gonna win anyway. But but do you guys do trivia now? Because I was doing like um uh um Nighthawk on Zoom for a while. I heard the Nighthawk one was good. We have, we keep wanting to like host yeah. trivia or like have a mm. monthly night or yeah. something. I do miss it. I, I did one Zoom trivia night and found it difficult. And I don't know if it's just because mm. I'm so. Zoom exhaustion. Like, right. Zoom exhaustion, but mm. also so 
like all the my my trivia strategies are so specifically built around like conferring in a huddle mm. and and my brain had a hard time adjusting to like being on a team with people in separate cities texting oh but on on nighthawk you, you go into a, a breakout room so you're all on you're all on a screen together like interesting this. Yeah, I'm a Nighthawk. That That's sounds nice. good. It's good. If you guys want to do trivia, maybe we'll win. Yeah. May, I, this is selfishly for me because I would like to win trivia one day. Whatever, let's I'll, do it. That sounds great. Love to do it. I did love once win it. general knowledge trivia, which was crazy. I, you know, I, I like general knowledge trivia too. Yeah, I'm a, yeah. I'm, I, I enjoy all trivial pursuits. Um, <laughs> but I'm t- so <laughs> it's crazy that we never. Well, maybe we did cross paths at videology. Who knows? It was always packed yeah. to the gills. Yeah, crazy. yeah. I'm yeah. yeah. sweaty in that room. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Is it still open? It's closed down, right? It closed it's down. Closed. Crazy. Yeah. Sad. yeah. Yeah. Um. But uh. Yeah. But but here we are. We're going to talk about Castaway. So Zemeckis. So so all right. So what lies beneath? That's is that your favorite Zemeckis or is that just kind of like the one you kind of mm. speak up for in his you know. Oh man! Ignoring the big boys. Name the big boys for me. I have to look at a list of his credits. You know, you got your Back to the Future, your Robert oh, yeah. Roger Rabbit. I mean, oh, Gump. Yeah. You know, which is. Uh, agree, agree. I agree divisive. with your hand gesture, which I will not describe. Uh, <laughs> I will let you contact, have that hand gesture. Contact. There are some big contact, contact. fans out there. Yeah, yeah contact great. Um, um, of, of I mean, course, the Polar Express, American Masterpiece. Um, <laughs> Which one? Polar Express. <laughs> oh my god, that was terrifying. So much of my um, <laughs> when I was doing post on um, on Candyman, <clears throat> whenever if we had a CG character or something, I'd be like, "Listen, this can't be like Polar Express <laughs> Beowulf. Like, we can't. We need to figure this out." Also, the Irishman, of course, <clears throat> yeah. came up. We're like, yeah. we can't do it. Um, right, weird wax we, people. Um, Actually, I won't talk about why that was important. Oh, I probably gave away some plot points, but who cares? Hey, um, hey. I don't know. <laughs> have Have either of you seen, someone did, and now I feel like there are a ton of videos like this, but there's one I saw that's really good where someone just used like deep fake technology with old footage of De Niro and mm. redid the Irishman scenes yes, using deep fake yes. so technology. It's so much better. Wow. It's, it's weird. It's weird how much better it is. It's weird how much better it is, and and the performance is better. Like not just does yeah. it, does it look more like young De Niro, but you're like, oh, this is gonna fall apart when he starts emoting and like mm. the mouth doesn't sync up or whatever. It totally works. Mm. For me, the biggest problem was the. I mean, no, the, the face was a huge problem, but the, the body just still being old. Absolutely, right. you know, it was it was, a, it was the, the the physical. He couldn't you know whatever he couldn't make it up and and the yeah. eyes the weird blue mm. eyes like that's, I, I just that's the ugh. biggest thing for like, me who though cares is what color his eyes are you know right agreed. exactly agreed agreed and also if you're gonna have three scenes in which he has to like kick a guy maybe just bring in a young body oh. double for that and like sure. he actually <laughs> is kicking the, the guy and not just an right. empty part of the pavement <laughs> right right like maybe maybe bobby can do full bottle for the fucking full body for the dinner scenes or whatever yeah. but let someone else do the kicking yeah. I still like that movie though. Yeah, I need to rewatch that movie. It's, it's I, I enjoyed that film actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I just uh, remember you seeing it, David, and and I was asking. I was like, the de aging looks so bad from what I've seen. How is that not a distraction? And you were like, it's bad, and it somehow doesn't matter. And that's my whole right. take on that movie. It's objectively not successful in that regard, and yeah. somehow the movie completely makes that kind of irrelevant. It's because right. you have so many scenes of Al Pacino eating ice cream that you're like, what? <sighs> 
Solidarity. Yeah. So good. I love. Yeah. 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 Vanilla. Uh, <laughs> um okay so yeah so what like or, or well castaway but is mm-hmm. castaway is part of the hook for you just that crazy production um you know side i of think it? so because my favorite zemeckis might be mm, it's hard actually because after this movie does he make a good movie oh i can't talk like this about people hey i i think he does but he never Which has a sort of widely accepted slam dunk i feel like this is his last movie that most of the public liked Mm -hmm. that was well reviewed and was a hit i mean you're you stick up for allied griffin um, i love allied oh but um yeah i mean he certainly does not make a movie that is i would say critically respected (laughs) yeah people like flight which is pretty brutal Flight I like is the Flight closest. less than Allied. Flight was you know, close. I yeah. like Flight more than Allied, but I love plane crashes in movies a lot. Okay, so um, I'm terrified of plane crashes. In, I'm terrified of plane yeah. crashes in real life. Me too. You're terrified so, of planes, period. Yeah, me well, too. Well, right. Yes. I'm okay. High five. I love wow. the scenes. Well, I mean, so I have that where I'm like, you know, it's like, it's the thing I fear most. So, right. So watching it is super, super thrilling. Um, but I have never seen flight because I know that it has an, an intense plane crash. And I am very, I, this movie also has a very intense plane yeah, crash. I but love like, it. I am, oh. This one I love. I mean, this one oh. really, this is a good time for me to be watching movies with plane crashes. Cause I'm not getting Going on a plane anyway. anytime yeah. soon. Yeah. So like I, I might, so I'm actually kind of excited for flight. I, I, I've long avoided it for that very reason. Honestly, flight is like, very by the numbers, very predictable, mm-hmm. and like also weirdly satisfying. I think when it came out, right. like, and this is how I feel also about What Lies Beneath, because I feel like if What Lies Beneath came out this year, well, not this last year, we'll say, sure. um, a normal year, it would have been like, wow, how great! This is really exciting. Like, what a great movie! It came out sort of at a time when lots of these kinds of movies I feel like were getting made, but lesser versions of them, so it was yes. hard yeah. to like, pick them out. Whereas, like, Flight, I feel like if it came out when fucking what lies beneath came out, people would be like, oh, wow, look at that. You know? Yes, oh, yeah. I mean, sure. Castaway is a particularly wild movie to watch in that kind of way. But I, I do feel like, I, I mean, I'm looking forward to rewatching Flight. My mm. memory of it is I was so amped for it, mm. primarily because, like, oh, Zemeckis finally put down the fucking mocap shit and is making mm. a live-action adult working movie working with a huge again. movie star again. Right, yeah, mm. totally. Right. And then the concept in the trailer just seemed like, oh, this is interesting, kind of like morally gray material. Mm. And then I felt kind of disappointed when the movie becomes, as you said, a lot more kind of conventional by the numbers after maybe the first 30 or 40 minutes. Yeah, 100%. Um, but, but the plane crash is incredible. And mm. I feel like Zemeckis is very much a filmmaker where there's like clearly a hook to each movie that is what got him excited about making it, whether it's a story hook or mm. it's like a, a sort Some of technical um, thing, right? A technical thing, a structural thing. I mean, it really feels like for him, the hook on this was a, how do you make a movie where you have that little dialogue, you have that much isolation, that mm. much silence for that long. And B, I just think he probably fucking geeked out at the idea of I could shoot half a movie, wait a year and then shoot the second half. Insane, no yeah. one gets to do that. It yeah. feels like that was the whole appeal to him. Yeah. That just he and Hanks at this point individually, but especially the idea of the Forrest Gump guys are reteaming. Yeah. Could go into a studio and say, like, here's what we're going to do. And they had to say yes. 
what did Tom do in that, besides lose weight and grow that crazy beard? Was he just not doing anything in that time? Correct. Or? Correct. Yeah, it's a good Tom question. Tom Hanks, America's biggest movies? movie star, just kind of sat on the bench for like a year. Wow. Right, because yeah, the movie before this is The Green Mile. And then, yeah, he doesn't make a movie again for two years till Road to Perdition and O2. So, yeah, he really wow. did throw everything into this, basically. And yeah. it was a huge hit. And he got an Oscar nomination. And, you know, what I mean? like it was not a bad what, idea. What but did he win for? Philadelphia, Gump? And Gump. Philadelphia and Gump, back to back. Back to back. And then the wilder thing is, it's like he has the big nomination. Then Philadelphia and Gump back to back wins. Then he gets nominated for Apollo 13, Saving Private Ryan, Castaway. And then mm. this is his last nomination for 20 years. He right. did not get, he nominated get nominated once. And then it's that Mr. Wilson's Mr. Lord. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. Right. Yeah, All the no, movies he didn't. he didn't get nominated for are a, it's a bananas list. Interesting. Interesting. interesting yeah. Wow. No um, Captain Phillips, no Bridge of Spies. Right. He's really good in Captain Phillips. Like he's against, I, I I I don't enjoy how much I liked Captain Phillips. <laughs> like, it's, it's I really don't. Enjoy. I mean, one um, reason you liked it so much though is because of he of how incredibly oh, good he is. Yeah. He's so like, good. Those the yeah. two leads, I mean, are I mean him and um Barkhad Opera Barkhad was, like unbelievable. Um such a great you know what's funny? I mean, I shouldn't talk about Peter Berg right now, because we're talking about Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> But there are certain okay. directors where always time for Bird. You're like, I don't. It doesn't really matter if your movie's bad. Like, I just will enjoy it because I like the way you do the the thing. And mm-hmm. weirdly, Peter Berg is that for me, which is seems crazy, like to say out loud. <laughs> yeah, it does not seem crazy at all. I think Peter Berg is a great example of that. Like, yeah. even when I dislike his movies, I like his movies. Yeah, yeah. He just has a, a way about him that they all vibrate on the the same frequency. So you're just like, yeah, this is working because it is what it is. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. We Wait, we went the to post. Go... I'm, I'm just looking at Hanks movies. Sully, mm. obviously. Snub right. for Sully. Mm. Snub for the just movies that Oscar would go for. Yeah. yeah. Sully was just hard to look at. <laughs> Interesting. But also this another is... good plane crash. Sure. This Great. is America's number one Sully podcast. You're entitled Sully. to your opinion. You just need to know that we simp for Sully. <laughs> that we're Sully bootlickers. <laughs> Do you um, like Sully just... actually? Oh, we love Sully to the degree that people think it's a bit. People a think yeah, it is a multi-year <laughs> bit. Once every six months, there will be a thread on the blank check Reddit, which is, can someone explain the Sully bit to me? <laughs> right. It's been because no one believes we like it this much. People yeah. That's just replying with like, he saved yeah. five, 155 souls. Like, I don't right, know what, for what do you mean by bit. There was a force water landing. You want to make right, it human. Right. Wait, who shot yeah. Sully? Um, who shot Sully? I think it was probably Eastwood's guy, but let's, let's, let me double check. Oh yeah. Tom Stern, who, which shoots all. Oh, I know what you mean. That's sort of like very grayed out look of all those Eastwood films. Also every light that is available is on in every room. Uh, that's what I remember. I was like, what on earth is going on? He does the weird, like desaturated with Mm. fluorescent lighting. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's like, what? Which. Yeah. I, a lot of it feels to me like his whole. I I don't want to waste time on setups. I only want to do two takes. Like just set honestly, it up. yeah. I've heard some funny stories about that, <laughs> which I will not share. But um, I mean, even Tom Hanks, I feel like, has talked about Clint Eastwood's uh, rapid style of directing. What do they work on together? Sully. Sully. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I literally was like, oh, I know. Seriously, sorry, my bad. Oh my god, I, I, I think I like, that's the only one. That's their only. <laughs> that's the only one. That's why my brain blanked out. I, like, I can't think of another film. Um, uh, no, yeah. Hanks. Some interview he did talking about working with Clint Eastwood. He said that he doesn't say 
action or cut. Like everyone's just sort of set. People call places. And then he's just sort of sitting there. And then Hanks looks over to him waiting for him to say action. And then Eastwood just kind of goes like, well, like he just sort of throws his hand out. I believe he says, go ahead. I think that's the story. And then at the end of the scene, there's just silence. And then he goes like, that's enough of that. And he asked him, like, that seems like the most passive way to direct a movie. And apparently it's because of all his time working with horses that when people would yell action or cut, horses would get startled and it would fuck up scenes. Wow, that's so funny. Yeah. You, did you, do you remember oh, that head. time? And then I swear I'll to keep this on track, but like when, but I feel like when like everyone was talking about like lady directors are being ladies and directing. And I feel like so many women were interviewed and it was like, how do you run your set? And like a couple were like, I don't say action. It's just very masculine and so like, you know, oh, aggressive. That I just say, like, let the spirits take you or whatever. And it was such a big deal made out of this. And I remember just thinking, like, you found, like, the two female directors who resist this. And now it feels like every woman, this, you know, like, floats onto set and says, whatever your heart wants to do. I was just like, it was so weird. And I find, but I, maybe they were just all talking about Clint Eastwood. I don't know. But I don't, I don't know why you would make movies if you didn't want to shout action. I mean, people can do what they want. But, like, to me, that seems like the the biggest thrill. The AD does. Right, like, yeah, sure, right. You right. don't even do that. That I mean, would be. I, I like to sometimes yeah. if I don't like my idea, but no, just kidding. <laughs> but also, why why direct movies if you can't talk through like an analog megaphone and wear <laughs> exactly. the little like postboy cap backwards? Exactly, that's um, exactly what I do. Th- this is I I have this question for you because you were mm. very much like a, a rapidly uh, rising female director in the mm. industry which means, uh, you know, you get discussed within that prism. Like, what is it like to be a female director? How is it different? You know, do you feel like, I wonder, you talk about something like that, right? That piece. Mm. And I've been lucky to work with, like, almost 50% female directors. Oh, dope. uh, Just by total chance. It's not like I have any hiring power over the things where I'm... (laughs) number 27 on the call sheet, but also doing a lot of TV where more female directors work uh, and have worked for the last 15 years than features, unfortunately. And I don't feel like there are a lot of seismic changes in that kind of way, like differences. Do you feel like if Variety is writing a piece like that on like, what is it like to be a female director? They are pointedly seeking out directors Mm -hmm. who they think represent a different female way of directing, quote unquote. I don't, I mean, I think, I feel like sometimes I think, well, here's what I think can happen, right? It's like, you can, you can say like, here's what it's like to be a female director and then interview like Miranda July and like, um, what's her face from Transparent or what's their face, I should say, because they don't, yeah, Jill Soloway no longer is, yeah, she's non-binary now. Um, and like, they are very specific type of director unrelated to them being, uh, at the time, both of them, at least, uh, femmes, you know what I mean? So it's like, um, it's a bit like if you interviewed like Patty Jenkins and myself and Ava DuVernay and I don't know, like Lulu Wang, like we'd all have pretty different (laughs) ways because we just are, we just make different kinds of movies. But I feel like at the time it felt so much like, okay, we're going to talk about how women don't direct horror films or action films but only talk to women who absolutely want to do those things sure (laughs) okay but then there are women who don't but like 
I don't know. I think I think people do kind of pick and choose in ways. But also now that there's so many of us, and so many of us still being like one percent, but still better sure. than point five, um, right. it's kind of harder to like do that pigeonholing thing. It's also that thing of just like I'm sure if you uh, went on a Harmony Korin set, he would do a bunch of weird shit oh differently gosh. than most directors. I wouldn't find myself on that set ever. You couldn't pay me to go to a Harmony Korin set. <laughs> You don't like bacon taped to walls? <laughs> I can't, I honestly, I can't even watch kids. I haven't watched kids. I started it and I was like, I absolutely not. I can't do it. We should mention, because uh, Harmony Crane has come up on the podcast and yeah. producer Ben has not said anything, which is unconventional for this show. But the reason why is uh, Ben was unable to uh, sit in for this recording. He did bring in um, a backup producer. Uh, it's uh, Wilson Volleyball. And uh, this is not a bit that I am doing. Uh, this is a real thing where Ben charged to the blank check uh, business account the mm. purchase of a official castaway Wilson volleyball with the face printed on it, and he has placed it in front of his laptop on Zoom. In our Zoom window, there is a Wilson volleyball in front of a virtual background of an island, and Ben is just going to leave his computer open like this for two hours. So yes, he is. Um, there's some nice sunlight on Wilson's face right now, actually. Yeah, it's feeling very integrated. This whole setup. he looks lovely. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, yes, okay. Uh, but well, I was just going to say, yes. no one okay. would try to frame any of the weird shit Harmony Corinne does as emblematic of male directors, which is yeah, the point exactly. You're yeah. making um, uh, right, 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 right. But uh, Robert Zemeckis, in yeah, many ways. <laughs> Right. In many ways, a very traditional director, like mm-hmm. very much like a guy who's part of the institution, grows up on like popular culture as part of that, like Spielberg generation of TV kids mm. who become like the populist blockbuster guys. But he does all these weird little experiments within his very mainstream films. And this movie comes about because uh, Hanks births the idea. Mm. He said that he read somewhere about how many flights it takes for FedEx to maintain their service. And they have so many planes with so few people on them, mostly carrying packages, going over large sort of unmanned seas every day. And so then he had the thought of like, what would it be like if one of those planes went down rather than a commercial airline where, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a much larger search, a much larger number of people, uh, you know, lost at sea. Um, so then he went to Zemeckis with it, and I think Zemeckis latched on to uh, a his. It, they were as TV kids, gelling on the idea of like we grew up with this shit, like Gilligan's Island, and mm. to a lesser extent, like all the Robinson Crusoe adaptations, where people are able to suddenly build like this incredible fort, coconut radios, and all this shit. Mm. Like no one's made a movie about what it would actually be like to sort of survive on an island for that long, and like relished in the isolation and the silence. And how menial the sort of learning curve would be for everything. And so they get onto that idea. Uh, you know, I think pitch the movie. Everyone wants it. Uh, hire uh, what's his name, who's like just the ultimate 90s studio screenwriter at this point. William Broyles, right. Who wrote, he wrote Apollo 13. Mm. He wrote, he wrote Entrapment. What if there was well, well. Um, an Entrapment? Uh, and what cr- else? He created he wrote the China Beach? Did he? Yes, he did. He created yeah. China Beach, the TV series. Yes. Um, but like, come on, Entrapment. Like, what if? Entrapment. 
you wow. know, a 70 something jewel thief teamed up with a 20 something jewel thief. I, yeah. Right. I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's truly confounding thieves. that film in that way. I remember being really Absolutely. young watching it and I love the movie, mm-hmm. but I remember being like, he is so old. He's very old. And what universe? Although I guess her universe, because she's literally married to someone 20 years older than her. But that is true. <laughs> she did that. Right. Sure. But I don't I don't think they have sex. I can't remember. I have seen I saw the movie in theaters. Yeah. And yeah. I remember that there's a crucial uh, set piece takes place because he unplugs a laptop too quickly and it sets off an alarm. That That's oh, the era entrapment came out in. Oh, anyway, but yes, yeah. that's who he, William Broyles comes in. I believe he was, uh, he was in the army. Like, you know, that's it. Somebody, so he like, whatever he's, um, he's right in the movie. What else? What else? Griff? I mean, he, I guess he like scouts like FedEx, right? Like yes. figures out how that all works. They get them on board. Right. But but I think another big part of it was like Zemeckis and a bunch of crew members. I don't know if this is once they had started filming or if this was a, a sort of uh, prior thing, but actually spent time on an island so they could learn mm. firsthand like, oh, what are the challenges? What are the things you would try to solve? So started constructing a sort of narrative around that. And I know the, the Wilson dialogue was fully written. Like, Brawls wrote mm. out full back-and-forth dialogue scenes between him and Wilson, so Tom Hanks knew exactly what the mm. responses were in his head to play off of it. But yeah, mm. then they do this totally bananas thing uh, where, I, I guess, DreamWorks... Was DreamWorks and Fox... Were they the two studios on What Lies Beneath as well? Hmm. Yes. Yes, they were, and in fact... It's like revert like this was a Fox movie that DreamWorks took internationally, and What Lies Beneath was a DreamWorks movie that right. Fox took internationally. So you bet they worked out some whole fucking deal. That was part of I think the whole pitch was like he liked the idea. I think in just a uh, a sort of competitive sportsmanship kind of way of like, could I make an entire movie within a movie? Mm. Could I have the opportunity to make a movie with this sort of like production gap? Um, got DreamWorks and Fox on board with like, I'll give you two big movie star films within the same year. Uh, And then the other thing was having what lies beneath in between allowed him to retain all of his key crew because Mm, otherwise it was like, Oh, I'd shoot with people. And then a year later, I can't tell them to just stay on hold. So he was able to promise people, I'll give you a whole movie in between. Here'll be an eight month shoot. Here are the outside dates for the next 18 months of your life. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Yeah. But they made two, like, $300 million hits out of that. Like, they yeah. made back-to-back smash hit. He had two of the top of, 10 films of 2000. Right. Wow. Both original movies. I mean, both yeah. obviously based in, like, you know, What Lies Beneath is sort of a Hitchcock thriller, Haunted mm-hmm. House movie, Castaway is a deserted island movie. But, like, you know, two just whole cloth original. It's like you say, Neil, like if this came out now, people would be like, this is the best shit I've ever seen. I didn't realize Hollywood still made these. Both films, honestly, both films, because I think it's because we have so much saturation of IP stuff, but it's like people like, like when that's someone, an original, when a big original film comes out, whether it's big in terms of like, if it's like a drama or thriller, uh, Mm -hmm. like what lies beneath, like mid, mid budget or like, a high budget like film like Castaway, like you're like, oh shit, like people right. are still thinking with their brains and doing new things, and and they're also both really well made. So um, they are, yeah. There's also just something to how sparse the pitches for this movie. There's something yes. exciting about just like Zemeckis and Hanks had so much trust that they mm-hmm. were like, here's the movie. He gets 
trapped on an island, and the bulk of the movie is him just learning a series of skills. I was shocked, silence. actually, when I was watching it, and I was like, uh, he got to the island, and I was like, oh, how much time has passed? And the movie's like two hours and 20 minutes. It's a long movie. And I was like, oh, only 20 minutes has passed, and I'm gonna, supposed to be here for two more hours? And the movie doesn't feel long to me at all. So it no. was like, it's so good. Like, the pacing is so good. And like, you know, knocking out his tooth and then four years later and you're just like, what? (laughs) It's, it's it's so good. Like it's one you're as you say, like the movie is really long and doesn't feel in at all. It has big bookends, like, you know, like substantial bookends that don't feel to me at least like superfluous. Mm. And it's really, the Island action is really just two days. Like it's like Mm. kind of his first night there and kind of his last night there. Like, you know, it like, it sort of asks you to imagine everything in between. And like, it's kind of not hard to do. Yeah. Uh, it's wild. David is taking off his Atlantic sweatshirt. Oh, shit is getting real. <laughs> the hot David 2020. I'm going to be next because uh-huh. it's really hot in this closet. It's a, a stunningly confident movie in yeah. that, like, we're, we're going to dole things out so patiently. We're going to give you so little. And we are confident that the audience will remain engrossed mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. And the filmmaking is not flashy. Like, he's not doing sort of Danny Boyle, like, I'm using all this sort of extreme cinematic language in order to make the sort of subjective experience of this guy being trapped here. It's it's very sort of like lockdown, little scene fragments, watching gradual progression of things. Can we Um, talk about, actually, in the filmmaking and the simplicity of it, like how some of these VFX shots like, did not age well at all. Please. <laughs> the whole movie is uh, day for night. Yeah, and... so I'm, like, I'm like staring at it like this feels bad, like not bad, but, like wrong to my eye. That is absolutely the stuff that works the least. They just, because yeah. they didn't want artificial lighting and it would have been too dark to get any uh, yeah. proper image on film. They shot all the night scenes during the day and then digitally darkened them and painted out the sky. And the that the sky looks the worst. Yeah, and it, it looks really just yeah. <laughs> but somehow you're still in. Sometimes the yes. water looks really weird. Right, yeah, like they, the they clouds in and the water. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, it's think, pretty yeah. disturbing at times. <laughs> like I remember, yeah. I was yeah. like, I was watching like his first night, especially. Um, you were like, what? Because it feels almost like I like my eyes are bad. Like my eyes are can't focus. Like when I was watching it, it's yes, so weird. it's it looks like a weird Instagram filter. It, it just exactly. has that unnatural quality uh, to it. Um, they also almost the entire movie is ADR because uh, like everything on the island, they said wow. the waves were just too oh, loud. Yeah. So pretty much like every line of dialogue, every mm. piece of sound. Yeah, it's wow. like all Foley, all ADR. It's like uh, they uh, shot it. Lost. Yeah, yeah. Hey, it's all lost though. Mm. Sorry. Um, uh, I was uh, there's a very famous, notorious uh, press screening or whatever of All Is Lost, where someone got up and asked a question that went on for five minutes, and at the end they were like, uh, "What's your question though?" And he was like, "I guess my question is, is all lost?" Like, <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. Anyway, it's it's always <laughs> held up by film critics as the worst Q and A question ever. I asked. love that so much. Um, there are some uh, bad ones. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, uh, but they shot it in Fiji, right? Um, uh-huh. On like a on a maybe not 
And yeah, an uninhabited island in Fiji. Um, which that must have been crazy. My God, I'm looking at it now. It has iguanas. This looks cool. Are there? I was wondering Sorry. what natural predators might be on that island. I was like, are there boars? Like, <laughs> well, you see, this is the thing. I I also the, there's no way that Lost. I don't know if you were a Lost watcher. I was know, initially, but, yeah. But you know, like, there's no way Lost isn't just the initial germ of it was someone watching Castaway and being like, oh, Mm. right, we're just gonna do this, right? And Lost has boars. And I kept confusing plot points with Lost and this, I kept being like, right, does he like hunt animals? No, I guess he doesn't. Like, I guess there's nothing going on. And it's crap. Just gets his fish. Yeah. How quickly would you guys? I would die immediately. I was having this like this argument with my mm-hmm. wife, but like I was just like, no, I can't do the fishing. I would. I don't think I'd make it. Yeah. I don't think I'd last like five I'm, nights. And I'm alone. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, it's very In his exact circumstances, you can use all the FedEx crap, right? You can like hopefully take advantage yeah. of some like choice packages, but that's it. Oh man. Um. Maybe it's me being too generous to myself, but I think I'd live for a little bit. Um, I mean, I don't think I would have ever got. I, here's what would not happen. I would not have gotten off that island. No, there's no <laughs> like, way you never. Right, right, no, engineering no. a raft, going yeah. over those waves. Uh, unless I was like, I'm ready to die and I might as well try, you know? Sure. Right, right, right. No, but I would be so scared, not just of going over the waves, but like, then what? Like, where? Exactly. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah. I guess he knows so, that there's a boat. There's a there's a shipping lane out there. Right. He saw a boat. Yeah. But right, it's very right. far. But yeah, yes. I, I, my thing would be like, oh, I'm ready to die. I'm ready to kill myself. I will at least attempt to escape. <laughs> like, and then sure, that. sure. Yeah. I, I just feel like, I mean, I, I say this a lot as a joke, but it's also not a joke. I, I feel like my very existence, continued existence, is proof that we as a species have overcome survival of the fittest. Like, I am <laughs> someone who is not supposed to survive the elements in terms of how I am built. Mm. So I, I just feel like I would accidentally die very quickly. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Infection, <laughs> trip and right. fall. You'd be like, oh, let me get that right. stick. That seems helpful. Right. And then you cut your foot and then that's it. Yeah. Right. And I also think I'd be too cowardly and disorganized to figure out a way to even like build a raft. So I would be, mm. just be complacent and be like, cool, this is where I live for the rest of my life. And then I think something <laughs> yeah. would accidentally kill me within 48 hours. Right. That's my <laughs> guess. <laughs> I feel but that. it makes. I mean, it's crucial that he is a logistics. He's a problem solver, right? Yeah. That's why we have that opening bookend. Yeah. Um, and because otherwise we don't buy probably that he mm-hmm. figures shit out on this island. Right. Yeah. There are two moments I really love. One, one for just the practical uh, sense of it. Like when he's trying to open the coconut and he smashes the rock and then that shard comes out. I was like thinking about the rock. I was like, is that, how do they do that? And then the cut to four years later and the spear and the, <laughs> it's so good it tilts up and he's just like one hip jutted out like in his wine cloth <laughs> and his hands is coming down slowly <laughs> it's also just like the guy is like having as dominant a run as a movie star has ever had for mm-hmm. him to look that radically transformed that deep into a movie mm-hmm. when he is like America's favorite it's just so fucking striking yeah. like not just that he's that skinny the hair, the beard, but as you said, just the physicality. Like he's moving in a way different than he's ever moved in his life yeah. up until that point. It, it's it's the best magic trick of the movie. Like it's the kind yeah. of thing, like the whatever boyhood, you know, like movies like that that just do weird time mm. shit. You know, like it's just yeah. there's nothing like cutting to him looking like that, and mm. you just immediately knowing like, well, this 
this can't be fake. Like the, like, yeah. I, I, I guess this, he just lost all this weight or whatever, you know, like it just, it just gets you. I mean, do we want to go? Pl- I mean, this is not a plotty movie. Like it's tough to sort of like go Maybe through. We can sort of go in order. I mean, I mean you I know, want, the, the open, let's talk about the plane enough. crash. We, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah, oh I, I think you made a very good point, which is it feels like most people's version of this movie would be an hour before he gets on the plane. They would be like, yeah. you really need to spend a lot of time with the guy and know what he's losing and be invested before he's mm. stranded. And this yeah. movie is like 20 minutes until the plane crashes. It moves so fast. It's unconventional that of the bookends, the coda is longer than the prologue, so to speak. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It feels like most people would do the opposite and would yeah. not have the confidence to have a solid, like, you know, 90 minutes plus on the mm-hmm. island. But but the opening is just sort of so fast. Uh, it's so good. Russia, and like, it's yeah. just what, like, the shot where he goes to her office and she's at the, the um, photocopier and he's just like looking at her. And then the way Helen Hunt like just performs that, that meeting, like she turns around and she's like sort of like tired and she's like stretching. And then like, it just feels so real. And you're like, Oh, these are real yeah. fucking people. Yeah. Like yeah. And, adults, I think this movie and they're adults. Ab- Jesus. Yeah. Grown ass people. Yeah, uh, exactly. We, we talk a lot on this podcast about, Tom Hanks movies being about a guy who's good at his job, that that's the main thing that unifies most of his films and that Tom Hanks that. is great at his job of playing people who are good at their job. Mm-hmm. But it's like right away, that's the number one thing the movie wants to establish. This is a guy who's a problem solver, thinks through everything, knows all the variables. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's fun that you have the, you know, getting to see the package travel with the little kid and everything. But also, I, I totally forgot that the cold open of the movie is the, the woman, Bettina. Yeah. Yes. And her, her philandering husband. Her philandering husband, who you never see. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and her weird business, uh, iron-wielding wings. No idea. I, I also forgot that. I knew that she had a cheating husband, but I forgot that like the wings was like like that motif yeah. throughout. Right. It's like, like his weird little religious icon that he mm-hmm. fixates yeah. on. Yeah. Um yeah, she's like an industrial artist. That's what I took away from it, right? Like yeah. she's just out there in Texas making cool shit out of metal. What's her husband doing in Russia? I remember thinking that. I was like, what's he doing there? And <laughs> Because it's so awkward when the package gets there and he's like, it's from my wife. And then goes inside. I was like, what? (laughs) It's so awkward. But I kind of love it. Um, I love it too, yes. And I love Helen Hunt. I mean, this is Helen Hunt's year. You know, this is, we've talked about What Women Want, which also came out this year. Uh She also does Pay It Forward, which is obviously a big movie. Not a hit, but, you know. But, like, Mm -hmm. she won the Oscar three years ago. Her sitcom has wrapped up. Like, right. and this she's just year, in four movies right. this year. She's just right. like kind of everywhere. Wow. Mad About You had ended and she was finally able to do movies again post Oscar. And all of them came out like within a six month period. She's, what was she an Oscar I mean, for again? Uh, uh, as good as, as, good it, as gets. it gets. The James oh Olympics my movie. God, of course. I love that. Um, I love that her son in that movie has the disease that all kids have in movies, which is unspecified. Yeah, he just coughs. He yeah, just coughs cough, a lot. Yeah. He's got a real coughing problem. Um, I love her in that movie. I mean, I have such a crush on Helen Hunt in all movies. She's amazing. She's amazing. She, she, it's honestly a good run. Like, I feel like she got kind of a bad rap for a while totally. because 
she won an Oscar and that like whatever puts a target on your back. But like if you go like Twister through to this, like that's like, you know, she makes a lot of fun movies. Yeah, I I think there was a backlash at this point, and it was a little bit of the Jude Law syndrome where it's just like for four months she was in every movie. Like it was Mm -hmm. like September, October, November, December. She had like four big movies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you're right. I think you're right. Wait, it's the Jude, what's Law, the Jude thing. Law thing, though. Was that really like, did anyone care except for Chris Rock? And then he made it a big deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, I don't think anyone was mad at Jude Law per se, but I do think it's not like because if Jude Law had made four great movies in one year or whatever, then yeah. everyone would be like, it was just oh, that was there was Alfie suddenly year? a lot of Jude Law in like, OK, movies. I mean, it was he, it was some Alfie. of them are good. Closer, Lemony Snicket, where he's pretty much only voiceover. Aviator, where he's a little bit more than a cameo. And then mm. Sky Captain, The World of Tomorrow. Mm. And, and I and Heart Huckabees. One more? Oh, it's and I Heart six Huckabees. Movies. Right. Six. That he's was great the thing. I Heart Huckabees, though. It was it's, it's a lot of movies. Between yeah. September and December. I feel like David and I were both nerds who were spending a lot of time on like Oscar prediction message boards in high school. Mm. And it was very much a thing that people were doing jokes about. Yeah, like it, yeah. it feels like it was noted, but I don't think anyone was like, ugh. And then yeah. Chris Rock crystallized it. And weirdly, then the Sean Penn reaction did more damage than anything. Yeah, everyone was like, shut up, Sean Penn. We're allowed to right. not yeah. like Jude Law. <laughs> Jude Law probably was just like, that. leave me alone. Yeah, he's just like, I don't, I'm just here at the ceremony. I remember watching that as, I don't know how old I was whenever that happened. And then we're being like, feeling so awkward for Chris Rock, not for Chris Rock, but just for everyone Chris Rock was talking about because it felt so personal because I couldn't really identify with his emotion. Also because he wasn't like, oh, isn't that Jude Law and everything? He literally was like, if you can't get a star, like, don't get Jude Law, get a star. I was like, damn, what? Right, right. His his whole bit was like Jude Law is dollar store Russell Crowe or whatever, which was, yeah, yeah, it was a a somewhat aggressive way to frame it. (laughs) It was so awkward. I honestly, I don't, I don't think, I I don't like any either time that Chris Rock has um, hosted the Oscars, but I think I love his Chris Rock stand-up. I think he's a fucking genius at it, but both times I was just like, I don't know what we're, we're doing here together, Chris. I think it's one of those things where, like, the years leading up to that, people were like, why don't they just get Chris Rock to host the Oscars? He seems like he'd be great for it. He did it. No one was super happy with it. Everyone forgot that he hosted. And then five years later, people were like, why don't they just get Chris Rock to host the Oscars? He (laughs) seems like he'd be good at it. It's like he did it before. It's like, no, I remember that. We should let him do it again. Yeah. And then the same thing happened. Yeah. Oh, Second time I remember being more underwhelming. I don't mind the first Rock host. My mom mm-hmm. was the hugest fan of it. She every year after Chris Rock was just like, they should bring Chris Rock back. I don't know why I'm looking at this <laughs> uh, guy right now. So maybe that I colored just, my opinion. Yeah. It's such a weird job because people don't want a host who's too fawning, but they also don't want someone who's too critical. And like yeah. he's a little bit too cutting. And, mm. you know, Neil Patrick Harris is the opposite direction where it's just doing a magic trick on stage. Who's been a good, who was a good host? Like recently. <sighs> I mean, Crystal lost points for blackface, but absolutely. Uh, he certainly did. He, and, and also, when it, everyone it, was it, like, he's back. The legend is back. And he like opened with blackface and it was like, Oh boy. Can we, yeah, can I we put no the legend say, away? Hey, maybe yeah, not. Absolutely. absolutely. And Tintin face and Tintin face. I don't want to rank <laughs> the faces the issues here, but Tintin face was also an issue. It's something that we don't I mean, talk about enough. I, Absolutely. Look, I know I know that she has recently been discussed quite a lot I and has been criticized very fairly. 
But I do, you know, Ellen DeGeneres is two performances. I, I think Ellen I was the being best modern Oscar pretty host. solid. I, so I think Steve, Steve Martin is the best modern Oscar host. I guess what are we calling modern anymore? That's but, my yeah. point. Well, Ellen, Steve Martin has now been long enough that I wouldn't call him modern. Ellen was the best of anyone in the last 20 years. Because she kind of tapped into like what movie, like what people actually want to watch the Oscars for, which is like the excitement of like, we like movies a lot, actually. And like right. the excitement of the people who might win them. And I remember that little video she did in the beginning. Yeah. With, um, yes. everyone sort of like woo and like jennifer hudson was like don't i look good y'all or something i don't know i just remember being like oh this is fun like and now everything after that i've kind of hated um, I, I think she struck yeah. the right balance and yeah. and i think there's also that thing i remember someone saying about billy crystal in the years after billy crystal when everyone was like bring billy back and then billy came back and made us all rue the day we we wish for that <laughs> but uh, in the years, I remember people analyzing why Bill, uh, Billy Crystal was so much more successful than other people. And mm-hmm. they said, like, because he was at just the right level of, like, being a Hollywood insider mm-hmm. while also being, like, a comedian and having, like, a little bit objectivity. Yeah. But uh, right. there's something about, like, if, if someone feels too far removed from that world, mm-hmm. you're like, I don't know. Like, should Seth McFarlane be making jokes about nude scenes, you know? That was so disgusting. I was it, like, it is, how dare like, you? It is crazy. It is and crazy like the, that that uh, happened. And like, I, I like, of course, he got like his, like Jennifer Lawrence and Charlize Theron to be like, we're in on it. He he. But it's like, you shouldn't have right. to be in on someone literally talking about your Pornhub scenes. Like, it's crazy. Right. Like, right. Oh, anyway. someone recently like texted me being like, I'm not like misremembering this, right? Like that happened like in like this decade. Remember, like, right? yeah, yeah, right. it was disgusting. I was like, this is. I was like, this is a crazy world. Uh, maybe I'll. If this is the standard, uh, don't know if I'm going to be able to direct a film. It's time to deal with these bobos. Right. Seth um, MacFarlane's Oscar hosting performance almost made you quit. Quit the quit, quit this industry. So the, the Castaway's amazing. Uh, Castaway's <laughs> yeah. amazing. We do enjoy it. It's got a great plane crash. Wait, what were you going to say, Griff? No, no, no. Just I, I, the opening setup stuff. Uh, I, I feel like the, uh, the the dinner scene with the family mm. is so good. I mean, because you have him showing up to see her at work. There's really good just like two movie stars, two good actors who are able to convey an entire history of a relationship in like their body language very instantly. As you said, yeah. you just like the way she turns around, the way they look at each other. She's just like, she's not, she's just exactly the kind of person you would want to stay alive for as corny <laughs> yeah. as that sounds yeah. like, yeah. you know, and if she was like, whatever, you know, like not like she's the perfect sort of like, she just feels like a real person. She's the most so like famous and charming type of person who yeah. you're still like, well, this is a real person. Yeah. I, it's funny. I remember like as a kid, you know, I was 11 when this movie came out and when Helen Hunt was having her sort of like banner year. And I remember like feeling that this movie like totally fell off a cliff when he gets back to land and sees her again. And I remember right. feeling similarly about what women want uh, when she enters the movie and like what women want, a hundred percent one eighty. I think everything before she enters is intolerable. The movie mm. becomes somewhat good once she kind of takes control of the narrative. And mm. her stuff for me in this works a lot better. But I do mm. feel like there was that weird resentment of like, 
oh, all these movies where, like, Helen Hunt comes in and reality comes crashing back into these, mm. like, <laughs> sort of fantastical premises. That's so I, funny. I think that was a common hit on this movie. Like, it's mm. so good, but it's the island stuff is what's good. Yeah. And rewatching mm. it, I'm like, I don't think the island stuff is enough. Like, obviously, it's it's very impressive and it's very involving, you know, like, and maybe mm-hmm. there's just that sort of, like, cinematic like endurance thing where it's like, how long can you make a movie with no dialogue with just, you know, him talking yeah. to a volleyball? Like people are just sort of into that sort of like the critique of like Wally or whatever. Like, you know, come on, make the whole movie, just him cleaning up garbage. Like people Which is so like, annoying because the reason why right. you like it is because you got just enough of it. Not because you need to have the whole fucking movie totally. be that. that like, that's, that's exactly right. They, they, they don't know. They wouldn't want a full course of that. Yes. That's also for me, the brilliance of this movie is just like, his sense of balance is so mm. correct in all the island mm. stuff. Not just how much of it there is in totality, but also just when the time jump happens, how long yeah. each scene is. Like, it, it essentially is scene fragments for 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. You're just getting these little pieces with these jumps, whether it's a, a short jump of just the progression of a fire or a slightly longer jump of him moving to an entirely different task. Like, I, when Lady Bird came out and there was the inevitable, like, second wave backlash to how beloved Lady Bird was, and I remember a lot of people, like, were mm. throwing out the, like, well, how hard is it to direct this movie? Like, it's silly that we're putting this up for Oscars. It's like a high school comedy. It's not that hard to direct. And I, yeah. which is stupid. Uh, but but I remember the best rebuttal yeah. I read to it, I, I think, now I'm trying to remember who it was who wrote this, but just sort of explained, like, it is not sort of like bravura, you know, sort of like technically complicated filmmaking that is usually lauded, but it is deceptively difficult to make a film like Lady Bird where most scenes are 30 seconds long. Like that's another movie where it's a year of her life and it takes all these jumps. And the difficulty of that is you're sort of doing like, all filmmaking is pointillism, but Mm. it's super extreme pointillism where you're like, these scenes don't really have coverage. There's no way to edit those fragments internally. It's all about having the right judgment of what angle are you at and what is the length of the action of Tom Hanks using the rock to try to break the coconut. Yeah. How do you yeah. direct that performance? How does the actor have the right judgment? How does the director cover it the right way? And then yeah. how do you edit that properly? How much or how little do you want of each of those things and it is just like these these very small puzzle pieces that build really really well yeah my favorite little vignette is uh <laughs> him in the fire he's like i mm-hmm. made the and i'm like I have made fire. So- <laughs> exactly. it's just like such tom hanks ishness but it's also that thing that makes the movie work so well. It's because like you want to watch him do this. You want Tom Hanks to come back too. Yeah. It's also I think why like a movie like um this is so off base not off base but off topic, but a movie like um You've Got Mail Works when like you should really hate him so much. Um because he he like ruins this woman's life and then it's like in exchange I give you myself. But I love that movie and I think it's because you you just (laughs) Tom Hanks has this thing about him where It just, it, he just, you want to watch him. He just works. I don't know. It, it's that okay. ineffable movie star thing. I mean, like, Road to yes. Perdition, his next movie after this is just like, this guy is a murderer. 
And, yeah. and I disagree with this, but the complaint that some people have about that movie is he's too likable. I can't accept him as being dangerous, even mm-hmm, though mm-hmm. you see him kill people. Um, yeah. He just has that fucking thing. But I also feel like it's such a good study in um, the, the power of withholding stuff mm. from the audience. When you go that long without him having dialogue and also you've watched so much uh, of of Tom Hanks sort of being a husk of himself, yeah. being so silent and so defeated and so stressed mm. out and scared yeah. and angry and sad. When you get a classic sort of Tom Hanksy scene of him dancing around a fire and being funny yeah. and charming, it feels like such a fucking victory because you're like, yeah. yeah, Tom Hanks is still in this. And then, <laughs> then all of a sudden he's like crazy blonde hair and right, you know, he's yeah. a silent fish assassin who. <laughs> has like a statue erected to the time he tried to kill himself on the island. Like that's like it's and, and it's because of Hanks that that jump works too. You know, like if it's a regular, it's maybe it's a different actor. We see them as a skinnier person. We're like, okay, I get, but like to see Hanks like that just sort of feels a little more shocking. The movie's two hours and 20 minutes and there's 24 minutes of score and seven minutes of that is the end credits. So there's I mean, wow. very, very little music for a guy who uses a lot of music. Yeah. Uh, well, usually. And also for a movie that lacks dialogue for so much, like you'd think like, well, well, yeah, well, we'll have this score that kind of like, you know, that can like fill things out. Like, well, don't right. worry, we'll rely on that. And he's like, no, we can't rely on that. Like mm. we can't rely on anything that's going to put the audience at ease about it. Probably. I, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's taking away most of his tricks. He's like, right. he's a guy who's had a lot of movies with like quotable, witty dialogue, you know, yeah. great comic chemistry and energy between actors, crazy set pieces and special effects. Like, it feels like this is sort of him doing his like dogma experiment in certain yeah. ways. But he's also, been doing that. Sorry, go ahead. No, no. With the weird gambit of the, you know, split in half production. What were you going to say? No, just I feel like, and this is something I appreciate about Zemeckis, is like, I feel like he's just kept doing that. Like, okay, now I'm going to do like this mocap thing. Now I'm going to do like this kind of movie. Now I'm going to like, he's always like challenging himself. And and that's something I like a lot about, about the castaway, what lies beneath castaway of it all is like, you're like watching someone who's like, knows how to do what he's doing really well. And it's sort of like, maybe I'll try this. Right. Exactly. And that's what I really appreciate about him. Even when I'm like, oh my God, Polar Express is terrifying to me on a spiritual level. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's it's why I'm happy that we're doing him. And uh, we were talking with a friend last night and she was like, are you, are you worried about any of the movies coming up? Because often, especially if we're covering a long filmography, we're like, oh, that's going to be a bummer episode or just mm. I, I don't want to rewatch that movie. That one's boring. And the movies of his that I dislike are all just so weird. And yeah. and even just like on a level of why was he doing this? Like, what was yeah. the thing he was trying to challenge himself mm. with by taking on this project? Yeah, I, I, I've been watching so many interviews and shit with him, but also like about him and uh I forget what it was on the special features for, but there was some interview with Spielberg where he said, like, I think it was Spielberg who said it, but like, he's a guy who really thrives from conflict. Mm. uh, And uh, he needs to feel like he's fighting against something. 
Mm. He, he's like kind of incapable of getting complacent for better or worse yeah, and repeating himself. And then he, yeah. I saw him say in this interview where he is like, you know, there's this double-edged sword to becoming successful and respected, which is then people don't really question you as much. He mm. said like after Back to the Future, people kind of trusted that I knew what I was doing and I hated mm. that because mm. I wanted people to question me. I wanted to have to fight for my ideas and I wanted to be worried that things might not work. And mm. when you're surrounded by glad handlers, it's it's a big issue. And he's like, it's paramount that you have to surround yourself with the right people who yeah. you know are critical and also challenge yourself doing things that might not work. And he's like mm. a great example of that. Uh, a dude who is clearly very willing to make movies that could completely blow up in his face. Yeah. And have. I mean, even even Flight Flight was. Did that make enough money? It was that sort of made like money. Yeah, it was like a solid hit, not like yeah. The, yeah. you know, yeah. Forrest Gump sized hit or whatever. But like, sure, I think sure. it was made relatively cheaply considering yes. the star mm-hmm. power or whatever, and it mm-hmm. like did well. Again, tangent, but Flight was actually <laughs> one of the movies that made me hire James Badge Dale in my first film. Uh, oh, because I he did is Iron so Man. The legend, amazing. Iron Man and 3. Flight, and he's yeah. so good in Iron Man 3. Those two performances, I was like, oh, yeah, okay. He's, like, it's interesting because, right, because he initially, I feel like when he emerged, played like kind of like, because like he was like on 24, right? He was like, you know, mm-hmm. in, in like shows like that. He was kind of like a stocky too. guy. He's in The Departed, you know. And then. In Flight and Iron Man 3, he's kind of like skinny and wiry and weird. Like, and then so it's like, oh, this guy actually has like some tools. He's a fucking chameleon. He's amazing. He's so good. I love him. He's like doing like the Jeremy Davies part in Flight. Like it's. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, And and yeah, apparently he fought like really, really fucking hard for that role. Oh, wow. I know. I I, I remember seeing some interview with him where he talked about how badly they didn't want to cast him because of that perception of who he was mm. and so he like lost the weight in advance to convince them that he could do it that sounds and did like a bunch <laughs> of reads right for like one yeah. scene with a character who's never even named but he's so yeah. good in that uh yeah. also iron man three rips it's the best marvel movie up until this point oh uh, um, you know like i'm i'm i don't love all the marvel movies but i'm i'm marvel trash sure. my friends call me i will watch them all i don't care like i'm i sure. love same, i grew up with marvel same. like i just i'm there same but yes. my favorite ones are the ones like Iron Man 3 that kind of like deconstruct like the superhero yeah. thing, but also that talk about like, oh, this guy has PTSD and is having panic attacks and that's why that's fucking interesting. Yeah. And right. so and one of the Iron first Man 3 is about like talk therapy. Yeah. Like it's oh, like, exactly. yeah, this guy flew into a black yeah. hole. He needs to deal yeah. with it. We stand Iron Man 3 almost as much as we stand Sully on this podcast. I can't even engage with the idea that they're on the same level. As- <laughs> Two American classics. Two yeah. American heroes. Um, Two American heroes. <laughs> I mean, look, well, Iron Man. Iron Man three also saved all the people aboard that flight. There, they he have. Did. There's like That's, twelve of oh, them, that was but yeah, three. Yeah, yeah. 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 the, the barrel of monkeys. The where yeah, he gets them all which the, I love. Yeah, oh, the dude sequence. Uh, Wait, what was Zemeckis' last movie? His last movie uh, was Welcome to Marwin. Oh dear. Yeah, and his next movie, uh, <laughs> which will be out by the time this episode comes out, is his remake of Roald Dahl's The Witches. With Anne Hathaway. Yeah, I saw that trailer. Written by the legendary trio, screenwriting trio that we all know and love so well. Robert Zemeckis, Kenya Barris, and Guillermo del Toro, obviously. Those three guys. Kenya Barris? The three writers. Kenya Barris, Guillermo del Toro are the screenwriters of The Witches. Did you guys watch Black uh, AF? 
Uh, I did not. That's the one where he plays himself, right? That's the the Netflix show, right? Yeah, did not watch that. It's a struggle. I don't think you you need to. uh, I I got uh, an audition uh, breakdown for that show, and I didn't go up for it just because I had made a decision for the sake of my uh, sanity not to play personal assistants anymore. Yeah, and it was sure. one of those. But just yeah. seeing the breakdown, I was like, really, this is the thing you want to do with your overall deal? Yeah. You want to be the lead of the show? It's very strange. I mean, people, I mean, I think everyone thinks they can be uh, Larry David and truly uh, it's not possible. He's one of a kind, uh, yes. Yeah, he's, he truly is. And even he has bad seasons of Curb. So, like, let's live in reality, everyone. You know what I mean? By the way, yeah. Griffin... Um, do you ever w- worry about all the shit you talk on this podcast and not getting jobs? Absolutely, constantly. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yes, I have probably torpedoed my entire career. Uh, so in, in certain ways, I have less to lose, but also uh, far less security. Uh, no, it's, I, look, it is, it is a thing that I have made uh, my peace with to some degree, yeah. uh, but it is definitely a thing I've been conscious about that I have sort of made my choice. Mm. I also feel like uh, th- th- these are the couple things I tell myself. Um, one, I I have such divergent tastes, as proven by my love of Sully, that mm-hmm. almost anyone I've ever shit talked on the show, there's probably at least one thing they've done that I love. Yeah, uh, like I, I I really, with very few exceptions, uh, couldn't find at least one thing where I would wax poetic about that yeah. to them. Um, I also find that uh, a lot of people in the industry, uh, such as yourself, uh, but but also like people who are like executives at studios or directors or screenwriters or showrunners or whoever who listen to the show, some of yeah. them who become guests, some of them who very much don't want on the com- uh, come on the show and say anything uh, yeah. potentially damning about anyone else, but will yeah. DM privately. Um, I, I, I think get that, that yeah, like... Yeah. It's not a negative show. Yeah, it's all like love based. Yeah. yeah, that we praise so much that even if we're like, Ugh, that thing's a fucking stinker, it's not like yeah. we're just dunk town. Yeah, for sure. But I worry about it constantly. Yes, and to some degree, <laughs> I think my career is over. Thank you. For <laughs> I think asking. about that sometimes when I because I I genuinely have um I don't know if it's like I don't care because I do care, but I genuinely just will just say things. I'm like, whoopsie daisy. Um, <laughs> and. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I support it. You, I mean, I prefer that to you know how most people comport themselves. Uh, you very wisely have sort of like gotten off of uh, Twitter. Uh, yeah, I was like, I can't engage right. with this right now also, because wise. my tweets, like, I'll hear about them from execs. So, like, yeah, we saw that tweet, so we really wanted to make sure we did this. I was like, oh lord, okay. right. which is also like, a great tool, right. but like, I'm like, sure. it's too much. At a certain point, you wonder if it's worth it, like risk versus reward. Should we talk about this movie? Yeah. Yeah. Let's good. talk about that. Okay. One thing <laughs> we didn't talk about the plane crash. Um, let's get into it because I love which is such a good movies. plane crash. Just, so just not my number one nightmare because it's maybe one reason I'm less afraid of this one is because like when am I ever going to be on a FedEx plane? I mean, uh-huh. you know, like it's not the yeah. the true nightmare of like being in your chair and then just being told like brace for impact or whatever. Also, those planes will dry, will fly through things that commercial flights will never fly through because right. yes, they, they don't have to, to worry about commercial flights. Yeah, right. yeah. they don't have to worry about Screaming bouncing people. people around. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, which is that also freaks me out. God, imagine just flying one of those things. Like absolutely not. Um, 
But I think um, that was like, Hanks's whole idea. I mean, he yeah, was like right, the whole right. spark of it for him was like these planes operate differently and fly over different areas, and yeah. it would be harder to track. Yeah. Um, what were you saying, David? Sorry. Um, well, just just like the little details, like the way you're sort of seeing, you know, how fucked up everything is out the window, but you mm. can't really, you know, like you're just seeing glimpses of like the the, the focus on the guy hitting his head, like which is such yeah. a bleeding out, you know, on the floor. mundane yeah. injury. Like it's literally a put your seatbelt on injury. Like, and yet it's so, it feels so insurmountable. Like it just like, you're just like, this is, they're not going to be able to deal. Like, this is it. This is, it's over. I love that uh, moment where, where, and this is the moment I always remember from, from it. It's when you see the actual water and I yeah. always think it's earlier than it's going to be. And then it's always later than, it, than I, than I remember. But just that, like, the whole sequence is amazing because you have the moment where he, like, wants to get his, the locket as opposed to the, the um, right. life jacket. And then the guy's like, sit down, do that, do this, do that. And then he hits his head. And then he's just standing there looking out of the window. And then when that water yeah. shows up, Ugh. holy fuck. That's it's the thing. So it's, it's, it's that moment where it's like, there's no avoiding it. The plane is going into the water, whether yeah. or not you die now. There's yeah. there's no pulling up for this. There's it just it fills me with uh, so much dread. It is yep. fascinating that I feel like the reputation at the time was like, oh, you have never seen a uh, plane crash sequence this visceral, this terrifying, this technically advanced. Like mm-hmm. it was sort of cited as a high watermark for like plane crash terror. And then ten or twelve years later, both Hanks and Zemeckis are like. I want to make another crash movie. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, yeah right. I, I right. think I think um, this one is better than Sully's. Sorry, um, actually, well, here's the thing about Sully's plane crash. Sully's yeah. plane crash is amazing because it is. And this is what I I, I enjoy about uh, I think about both is that for my like anxiety about planes is that like you can survive, but also like people know what to do. And watching yes. someone calmly like know what to do oh. is like that's that's the only reason that's all I get out of Sully is like you just tell me what happened exactly in the real world but like with some drama and in two hours you know and then <laughs> Griffin your I, favorite look, now Griffin <laughs> yeah I'm so sorry I'm so sorry I, I just have to correct you it was not a crash it was a forced water landing it was you're, a forced you're, you're right. it was a forced water right. landing a hundred percent hundred percent but I think it's I, like okay. No, that's inarguably the best part of Sully. Like, I don't know a single person. Look, I've made so many people watch that movie, and a lot of them don't like no. it, but everyone agrees the fucking crash is stunning. And and yeah. so much of it is just that's such a different energy you've ever than you've ever mm. seen of him trying to continue to check off all the boxes once mm-hmm, the plane mm-hmm. has landed. His yeah, management yeah. of the crisis is the most stunning thing. It's also just right. the type of shit that Hanks is absolutely best at as an actor and is the yeah. same muscle that this movie uses really well. Yeah, I fucking love it. I love the moment in the bathroom where he's taking off his uh, Band-Aid right before. Yes, and he's like, ah. <laughs> it's just such a great, it's just so well done. And that's what I love about Zemeckis. And something like, we've just all is, done. Yeah. yeah. We've, like, exactly. we've all, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's it's also just as a kid, like any movie like this would fill me with so much anxiety and dread. Mm. Like I would just any movie where it's like based around a crisis, something going wrong, the pressure cooker or like horror movies in particular thrillers. Mm. I I would want to see them. And then I would sit there in so much dread of when like the shoe drops and the yeah. movie becomes like a fucking, uh, you know, boiler room. And, mm. like, relishing that, like, 
Uh, oh, oh, it's a scene where they're like at a family dinner and they're like making cute banter and they're comparing their planners. And this is like nice character yeah. stuff. I, the moment when he's in the bathroom with the bandit is such a nice character thing. But I just I flash back to me being 11 years old and just being like, fuck, this is the last second you're going to get of this shit. Like, get yeah. ready. The rest of the movie is going to stress you out. <laughs> Dude, Enjoy tooth? it while you oh. can. Oh. Yeah. oh, man, the tooth. Right. Like we've talked about a lot of the island stuff, but there's just like you're just so stressed out immediately by like any any little thing like like the tooth his tooth hurts and you're like oh fuck 20 minutes from now that's gonna be a problem like yeah you you see i don't know there's like that early shot on the when he washes up on the beach and the packages are washing up mm-hmm. and you i just immediately start having that anxiety like dude you, dude you gotta get the packages dude dude right, hey, yeah. hey, wake up we gotta get the packages yeah. like they're gonna go yeah. away they're gonna get you know like you just immediately are so stressed out by any interaction with any object and Zemeckis is such a big uh, uh, setup payoff guy. Like Back to mm. the Future is all based around setup payoff, but like yeah. really cleanly set up and explained and visualized so you can't miss it. Yeah. And this movie lets you fill in a lot of the gaps. He doesn't hammer things too hard in the setup. Like even just the, I I like that. Helen Hunt's character is also really busy and focused on her career. That it's not a right. thing where it's like, uh, oh, She's he has the woman that he is leaving, right. waiting at dinner, yeah. and he 100%. spends the entire time on the island uh, wishing he had spent more time, you know. It's yeah. like they both were mutually, that's what made them attracted to each other. All the shit where the families are making fun of them for not getting married, and yeah. like how excited they are. When the, when the beeper goes off, there's such a nice moment I where she that. looks at him and you're ready for her to go like, oh, like, you know, do the sort of classic, like other woman mm. sigh. And instead yeah. she just goes like, okay, so let's figure it out. Where do we celebrate yeah. Christmas? It's in the car. Okay. Like That's the fact great, that they're, yeah. yeah, that they're both equally haunted by the fact that they couldn't slow down and appreciate it when they had mm. it. But it also means that the stuff like the, the toothache, he sets up similarly subtly. Like he just, he does it one time. He does one beat at the dinner table, they go, is it something with the food? He goes, no. And then it takes like an hour for it to come back in again. But as a yeah. movie watcher, you know, God damn it. Now he's crashed on the island and the fucking tooth is going to come into play. Yeah, You're just yeah, sitting 100%. there in dread of when the tooth becomes an issue. And that's like the most harrowing part of the entire film. Dude. It, yeah. Because then it makes yeah. you think about like all the things that you have to go get regularly checked out that like. Right. Well, if I were on an island, this would just be the worst. Like, all those cavities would just end up being a mess and blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, you know, thinking about George Washington's wooden teeth, you know, I'm just like, wow, that could be me <laughs> if I were but on this island. <laughs> right. It's like he, you only have to set up one medical issue like that and watch him yeah. solve it in the most grotesque way. Even though the scene itself is not that bloody it's very yeah. visceral and upsetting oh, yeah it's and just it's, that it's like eye stuff gum teeth stuff oh, like just oh. the idea of anything touching them you just immediately tense yeah. up in a movie yeah. i think because you just know how much the nerves are in there oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, I, stuff I said my number one worse but this scene hits me in the way that eye stuff usually does eye mm. stuff you said tough. oh i said to forky to my wife um uh nia i'm married to forky 
Yeah, I literally was just about to say, did you say Forky? Which, yeah, so, uh, congratulations. Uh, Forky, um, yes, thank you. Thank uh, you so much. Thank you. David thought that alive. Toy Story 4 looked bad and that Forky looked stupid. And he claimed that Forky was a war criminal. And I bet that he was going to like Toy Story 4 and like Forky. And so we made a bet in which I said, mm. if he ended up enjoying Forky, he had to marry Forky. And so right. Also, my wife just doesn't want me to say her name on the podcast, so now we just call her Forky. But no, so I'm married to Forky. Very um, uh, but she, I was, we were watching, and I was like, yeah, I mean, she, you know, get, you know, he's gonna take his fucking tooth out with a, yeah, with an ice skate, and she just looked at me and she was like, I can't even know that that happens. Like, not only yeah. am I not watching that scene, I'm yeah. mad that you just told me that that is a scene. Like that, yeah, that's yeah. how visceral that sounds. Oh yeah. It's the the worst. It's so telling of his storytelling instincts, though, that, like, he does that, he falls to the ground, and that's when you cut to four years later. Because he knows, like, that's the peak you're going to hit of this first stage. And now now that you've seen him do this, you can, in your mind, fill in how he would handle any similar crisis across the next four years. He's, like, graduated, too. Like, okay, survival level two. Yeah. Right, right. right. His, his XP has gone up, you know? Like, exactly. He's got yes. it. And so you can just cut ahead to him now getting like the new the new skin where he's exactly. fucking cut and got the blonde locks. Right. Right. literally that, like Red Dead Redemption, except it's Castaway Redemption, too. Oh, man. I, they should do that. Rockstar should do a Castaway game. That'd be Chuck so Nolan good. should be a playable character in fucking yes. Mortal Kombat or some shit. <laughs> right. Have. Yeah. I went down yes. this weird rabbit hole. I was looking at like IMDb trivia facts for the movie, uh, you know, which are not always really reliable. And there was mm-hmm. one that said there is a scene that was in the theatrical and VHS versions of the movie that was then cut out for the DVD and later streaming and home video releases in which you see him try to commit suicide and instead you only have the scenes where he talks about it and where you see the rope later. And I was like, that feels unlikely that it was I in- actually was going to say, I think I remember that scene. <laughs> so here's the weird thing. I remember okay. that scene too. But I was like, why would that be cut out only at the DVD stage? Yeah. Especially since this was 2000, it would have come out in DVD and VHS at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why Why was there, like, not a test screening version, but why would he have recut this movie after the fact and it not be, like, a known thing? So yeah. I went down this whole rabbit hole. There's, like, a whole Mandela effect thing of on course. the internet where people are arguing over whether or not that scene ever existed. And people are saying, like, I had the memory, you have the memory, I viscerally, viscerally remember a scene in which he is at the top of the mountain at night he hangs himself from the tree. The branch breaks. He falls to the ground. Exactly. It's haunted me. It's haunted me. And then I watch the movie, and there's the scene where you see him pull the rope up, and there's the scene where he says to the guy at the end that he tried suicide, and the right. actual visual of it was missing. And people contend the scene never existed. It's not on any deleted scenes. You can't find it anywhere. There's no alternate cuts of the movie. It's just that the suggestion from those two scenes places the image in your head so vividly. That's crazy. And, and like, as much as I still want to say, like, no, it's the fucking 
Berenstein Bears and I saw the scene. Yeah, yeah. This is it the kind of movie. Really great filmmaking. <laughs> yeah, that's the whole power yeah. that this movie traffics in is that yeah. you fill in all these gaps from the couple of things you do see. It takes so many leaps. That happened to me with the hours, where I so I love the hours. Yeah, and, sure. I, and it's not that I invented a scene, but I just misremembered a performance beat. And when uh, Nicole Kidman's on the platform, she's like, "I'm going to London, bye, bitch." And her husband's like, dude, like, you're not well. <laughs> like, please come back home, whatever. And she says, my life has been stolen from me. Mm-hmm. And I always remembered it as a yell, like her yelling, like, my life has been stolen from me. And then I rewatched it a couple of years ago and she like literally like whispers it. But it was, I guess the emotional mm-hmm. impact of it was so intense right. for me. Like when I watched it when I was like 12, that I was like, I remembered it always as like a scream, like, cause that's how I felt it. And I was just like, holy shit like <laughs> how did i just misremember that so i'm like i'm not surprised at all that um that scene doesn't exist because i remember watching castaway when i was older and being like oh that scene i thought i remember the scene differently that's there's yeah. so many so many doing this podcast, of people saying that well yes. yes that's true but doing this podcast also i feel like that happens to me all the time where i'm like time. getting ready for a scene i remember really well where i'm like god mm-hmm. this scene rules and then it either maybe barely exists at all or it's yeah. like you say, totally, completely not what I remembered, but I remember yeah. the emotion of it, and that's what I remember. We mm. went to see uh, Armageddon at a drive-in last week, uh, yeah. the Blank Check crew in uh, semi-adjacently parked cars, and I was <laughs> in a car with my brother and, and his girlfriend, our good friend, and um, they, neither of them had seen the movie before. And so, like, I don't want to miss a thing, hits... The, the earlier strains of it when the animal cracker scene is happening. Mm-hmm. And the two of them were like, that's it? That's the only time they use the song in the movie? And I was like, no, get ready. They're buttering you up. They, they bring it back for maximum impact. And I was yeah. so fucking mm. certain that the yeah. song played under, spoiler, when he does the final, like, over video feed goodbye to Liv Tyler. I yeah. remember Bruce Willis giving the hero speech. Like, yeah. he pushes Ben Affleck back into the thing. The song starts playing. He comes on the screen and he says, like, I love you. You know, you're my son, whatever. All the hero shit. And the music's playing under it. And I was just like, why? When when does it happen? And of course, it's the fucking end credits over B-roll of their wedding. I was certain, certain that it played under that scene. Yeah. Right. That's crazy how that happens, isn't it? Yeah. Castaway guys, are there other? Well, Wilson, we haven't talked about Wilson. I mean, I guess there's. It's it's funny that that just became the meme from the movie. Like it is yeah. so effective. Like I still feel crappy when Wilson goes away. Oh, I yeah. do that at all. I have done that my throughout my entire life. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys like that. Just like anthropomorphized things. Oh. Mm-hmm. That oh, I have, sure. like in my, you know, write like pencils or fucking. I'm sorry, David. <laughs> you don't know if I do that. Yeah, all right, look, I'm just giving you guys <laughs> a extrapolate like, based on everything you know about me and my obsession with Toy Story. <laughs> yeah, I anthropomorphize <laughs> the far too many objects that I own. It's the one I write the one thing in this. I'm like, oh, I would do that in within a week. Like, I I would have a whole cast of characters. I think. I think it's yes. the only way I could deal with it. Yeah, for sure, 100. percent Right. There's the the last man on earth sort of heightening of this bit where he makes like an entire supporting cast of like I don't know if either of you watched that show. I saw the first few episodes. I watched. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Will Forte has like eight different 
uh, like balls and pieces of sporting so equipment that he paints faces That's on. They so all have good. different names. And he has like very complicated multi-part conversations with them. And it feels like they think that's a comedic heightening of it, but in reality, I think that's a more realistic version of what someone would right, do. Yeah, they would not yeah. settle for one ball. No. But but the I Wilson stuff just is Wilson. just, it's so elegantly done. Like, everything that, it, you you could describe it to someone and it would sound hokey, of like, yeah. oh, his hand is bleeding, he picks up the ball, then he looks at it, the handprint kind of looks like a face, he paints it, he names it Wilson because yeah. of the thing. But, like, the, the scenes are so well-written and so well-acted, and it's it's an area in which the movie gets really patient and actually spends the time to, like, slow down and show you the build mm. of him starting to personify Wilson. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and it's, like, the joke in Bridesmaid that, like, her lowest point in the movie is her on her mm. mom's couch watching the Wilson scene and sobbing hysterically. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, that it's like an ultimate, like, you think it's stupid, you're not going to fall for it. And every time you get a lump in your throat mm. when Wilson gets lost at sea. Oh, so good. That's such a great moment, too. Also, just for, like, the mechanics of the plot, like, the like more and more of the island is, like, slipping away as he gets closer to, to the real world. Right. Which yeah. I, Absolutely. Which I love. And that's also, it's, that's when the score is kicking in for the first time. It's mm, like he's yeah. fully leaving behind that movie. In my memory, Wilson got blown away or whatever. Like, and I, I forgot that it's you just watch him leave. Yeah. Like he just yeah. sort of like bobbles away yeah. and Hanks goes into the water and you're like, you just sort of know like, no, this is, it's like, he can't do this anymore. Like he's got to say goodbye to this thing. And there's that It would be great if he like, showed back up with Helen Hunt uh, with Wilson under his arm and was like, this is Wilson. Yeah. Like, or, or it would be great if when he gets to land, Helen Hunt is like, uh, I, I actually got married and Wilson's her husband. <laughs> Wilson somehow got to I land. I met this guy oh, oh like God, a month amazing. ago. I married him like a week. Ago. He just got here, but it was a quick whirlwind romance. Um, she, he, he's gone for five years, right? Four, five years and she. Four or yeah. something like that. Four, four or five four, years. Yeah. And then she ends, he ends, she ends yeah. up married with two kids or. One. It's one right? kid. One. She marries yeah. her dentist. So it's another dental, uh, you know, in, indignity. She marries Chris Knopf, right? At, right the at dentist that, that he never saw Big. enough, that he never had his teeth looked at by. Perfect casting. Chris Knopf is perfect casting, where you're kind of like, I guess if Tom Hanks isn't around, this guy will do. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, yeah, I he's sort of. Like, you're like, I don't like that guy. <laughs> well there's that like too that like kind of like but you're also like something's off right there's I, I something think, slippery about yes. him right there, yeah there's that thing because you don't want to be too charmed by whoever she's with now exactly there's, you right you, you want to have it. the romantic sentimentality of like she should leave her husband yeah it, right yeah i mean it's just, I mean, the whole end of this movie, may, and also like maybe when I saw it when I was a kid, I was like, man, I don't get this shit. This is like, and now I'm just like the whole time I'm ditto. like, man, what the fuck would you do? Like, what Fucking would you do? Like, yeah. I, I hated so all this shit as a kid. And it's weird because I was certainly a very sappy, sentimental kid. And I was not like, you know, a boy who was allergic to, to romance or emotion in movies mm. in that kind of way. But I remember just thinking like, ugh, like what? Like the movie gets so fucking overstated. And the only area on which I think the movie really does, I I think the the speech he gives to Nick Searchy about like what kept him going is a little bit overdone. I think I don't all think the Helen you need stuff it. works. I don't think you I don't need think it. you I need think, the speech. 
I think that's the one area where he kind of does the Spielberg thing, the thing that often plagues late period Spielberg, where he just Mm. doesn't trust that you get the message of the movie. And he has a scene where someone spells it out or he does a visual metaphor that hammers it in too hard or whatever it is. And it's also interesting to me that like, you know, Hanks gained weight for the first chunk of the movie, right? So he was bigger than he had ever been before so that there would be a more striking contrast when he lost weight and then was pretty much more cut than he ever had been before. And then they took like a little break where he like, you know, shaved and gained a little bit of weight back before they shot the stuff back on land. Mm. Um, But that one scene, that one monologue, he looks a little plumper in that. Mm. I just noticed Mm. even then when they cut out from that to him back on the road trying to deliver the package with Mm. the wings that he's back to looking leaner. I wonder if that was a late reshoot because they didn't, they felt they needed to have more closure. Hammer something home, right. I truly, having gone through the studio system, uh, um, movies would be so much better uh, (laughs) if we could just limit. (laughs) Honestly, I mean, I just do you, like if it's, you, if it's just like if, if are reshoots aren't allowed, like you know, movies. No, would no, be better no, reshoots are amazing. Them. No, reshoots right, okay, are okay. amazing. Notes. Um, You're talking about notes. I'm talking yeah. about notes from because yeah. there are some execs, and I think I, I'm working with them now who are great at mm-hmm. like wow, like to the point where I'm like, what? Why can't this just be everyone? <laughs> and then there are some where you're just like we don't have to even have the same taste in movies. So why are you giving me notes on my film? You know? Sure. And it's, right. and I think that's the sort of thing. It's like, you have to figure out when you're like directing, like and editing, like, um, okay, what's a you problem. What's a me problem. Like what's you being a little daft and what's me just knowing better, you know? And it's a hard, hard balance. But like that, for example, it's like, maybe that scene is good for the people who like literally are like, what? I don't know. Tell me more. <laughs> but in terms of like the movie being just like good and solid and like growing into understanding the movie, like we all did, you know, from being kids to adults, like, oh, it would just be so much better. It, it anyway, feels like a weird half measure because the movie does end with this sense of open-endedness. And I feel like that yeah. ending works for people. People like still talk about that ending all the time yeah. of him at the literal crossroads. It's mm-hmm. not subtle, but I think it's effective. Yeah. And I think the Helen Hunt stuff works. And I almost just I think wonder the Helen if Hunt stuff like, works because she's a good actress. And like, agreed. it's just such a mental whammy to consider. Like, you know, what if you like the, the weird guilt that she would feel like having given up on him, even though, of course, she's getting, you know, like just that. Like, it's yeah. that's Twilight Zony enough for you to just be so invested in. Well, the crossroads, it's, it's, I like the, the penny lost stuff. Like, I'm such a fucking sucker for the Penny Desmond plotline on Lost. But the mm. realization of just, like, god damn it, she was looking for him the whole time. Like, it's yeah. so much worse that it's, like, not that, oh, she remarried, she moved on. But she tried so hard to hold out for so long. Yeah, she was yeah. actively trying to believe he was going to come back, yeah. searching for him, and then finally broke. That's finally the thing that's... Then. Yeah. Right. That's so heartbreaking. And it is like a very messy adult ending of just I love like, the way they do it. Right. But she's got a kid and she's got a life. And it's also so, yeah. like there's no way they can go back to what it was before. They're both fundamentally changed by this thing now. It's really mm-hmm. permanently affected both of them. 
I wonder if it was just a thing of like the audience needs to hear Tom Hanks say he's going to be okay so that mm-hmm. they don't worry that this guy's going to be depressed for sure, the rest of his that life. He's just right, ruined, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Castaway 2 is him in therapy. Um, Absolutely. And dating <laughs> Bettina, I recommend it for everyone maybe. anyway. And dating. And dating, <laughs> dating who? Bettina. Bettina. That's the, uh, the, the nice Austin, or not Austin, a nice Texan artist. Oh, oh right. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so absurd. I think, I think Tom's performance in the, in the book and the end of the film is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, he just really inhabits like, three very different people. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah. He's I haunted mean, without seeming like sort of overacty about it. Yes. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I, I really think, cause this is the year that Russell Crowe wins for gladiator. And that right. was so much a sort of like star anointment. <laughs> here we go. New leading man. Gladiator sure. wins best picture. Also, I love gladiator, but continue. I, I just like the next year is a beautiful mind, which even if, Gladiator is right. a better film mm. than Beautiful Mind. Beautiful Mind is very much like Russell Crowe skill piece. Very I don't know how that performance ages, but like there was He's even the threat at the I time mean, of like, like right, right. It, people thought, oh, is it going to be a fucking Hanks thing where he wins two back to back years because he just had mm-hmm. two juggernaut movies and mm. it was unavoidable. There's a part of me that wishes that Hanks had won for this and mm. Crowe had won for Hanks, Beautiful Mind. Instead. Hanks would have won yeah. for this if he didn't have two Oscars. Yeah. I don't think right, there's yeah. really much question for yeah. it. Just because because physical transformation is just something they value so much. Like, yeah. and the fact that Hanks did it feels like sort of especially crazy because it's and like, it's the dude, whole movie. you could the just whole, play yeah. nice guys yes. for the rest of your life. Like, you didn't have to go lose 60 pounds. You know, like, I feel like there's just that yeah. weird, like, he they kind of bow down to anyone who does for that. For a year, the biggest movie star in the world was like, I'm going to spend a year just getting skinny and growing out a caveman beard so that yeah. I can right. finish filming a movie. It's, the, it's the like the cr- antithesis, antithesis of uh, Joaquin Phoenix doing it for that absurd documentary. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Where so everyone was you, like, you, Wa- don't waste our time like this. You mean talking about the documentary film I still haven't seen that movie. Is it good? Well, uh, uh, in the words of Martin Scorsese, I, I get it. I see what you're doing there. <laughs> That was so wild. Whereas they were like, well, it's produced by Scorsese. Scorsese was like, actually, uh, I didn't produce it. Like, my name's yeah. not on it. And they were like, well, did you like it? Initially, and he just retained it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then they were like, did you like it? And he was like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> like, like I, I got what it was doing. I loved when everyone was getting all like verklempt about him being like, oh, I don't understand or like those Marvel movies or the yeah, superhero right. movies. And I was like, what do you need him to like these for? Did like, you yeah. think he liked them? Like, that's <laughs> the thing. I'm like, do you think he's like, you think Who he's, cares? you know, Ant-Man and the Wasp. It's just like, you know, like, what did you expect Martin Scorsese like, to start saying? You, like, what? Like, what, are you, what? Why are you looking at Scorsese to validate your comic book movie love? That's, Look at that's the right. fucking thing. I feel like the three of us are very much on the same page where it's like. Marvel trash like, is the best way to put it here. Where it's just like, right. look, look. Look, I like I love that shit and I love yeah. lofty cinema and I understand the conflict between the two of them. I don't need him to tell me that it's okay for me to like Iron Man 3. Exactly. I like Iron Man 3. Right. It's irrelevant. I'm doing fine. Like, I, I like Iron Man I 3. Know. I like Martin Scorsese. I like a lot right. of other shit. It's like fine. everything's it's fine. fine. Not not everyone I like has to like everything I like. That's not exactly. wrong with them. Uh I don't know if you had this Nia, but just like mm. b- being around uh d- oh, did did you work on the pilot or were you only on the series? Only on the pilot. Okay. Okay. So like during the pilot, I just constantly 
like, without seeming like a hanger-on, would just try to position myself in earshot of wherever he was whenever there was Mm -hmm. downtime. Because it was just like, I'm so curious what his opinion is on everything. Like, I was just so curious to hear him drop morsels. And anytime there was, like, a complicated setup and, like, Cannavali Mm -hmm. or whatever had the courage to make small talk with him and ask him for his opinion on stuff, it was that kind of thing where I was like, I want to know, like, does he like fucking Pixar movies? Like, what does he think of Borat? I'm not going to be offended (laughs) if he doesn't like something I like. I'm just curious what populist stuff he likes and what he doesn't. Exactly, yeah. He's just like a, he's an elder statesman. Like, it's, yeah. just, it's just like information at that point. You don't have to take it personally. Totally. Totally. Uh, uh, and just to clarify, uh, his attack on uh, was so much more brutal because he did not even right. see the movie. His, he said, his I bless your script. heart. Right. Yeah. I, I get it. I see yes. what you're doing here. I don't need to be part of this. Also, it's basically like, you know, like a juiced up Kings of Comedy. Yep. Okay, comedy. Talk- so I think that's also kind of funny. That's his, I, I get it. I understand what you're doing. Yeah. I did that before. I don't need to do it again. Have fun. Yeah. Yeah. He's yeah. like, I've literally like, anyway, whatever. I can. I made the same fucking <laughs> move. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also happened at a round table interview sitting across from Todd Phillips, who just had to sit there and nod his head. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Um, so I, I, I find it fascinating that Todd Phillips did. Um, it is. Wow. Uh, to your point, Nia, of, of how good Hanks is in this mm. last sort of third of the movie, um, th- this is all the stuff where I'm like, give him the fucking Oscar. This is mm. like yes, him exactly. just sort of like right. staking his claim of like, I'm one of the all timers where mm-hmm. the way he plays all those scenes that could be so hackneyed of And they do like this beat like four or five times, but him picking up the crab leg, seeing the lighter. Mm. You know, flicking the light switch on and off. Like, all his weird... Having a difficult time readjusting to society, but also just being fascinated by... Right, these things are so easy. These things I took for granted. And what a battle it was for me to get to sustainability with all these things. The part that is so heartbreaking for me, you have that shot of him in the hotel room where it's just the lights flicking on and off and you can't see his body. And then it cuts to the other side... And he's lying on the floor with yeah. the switch and he's put the stopwatch on the bed. And it's like, mm. oh, right. This guy wouldn't be able to immediately go back to sleeping in a bed. At this yeah. point, he is conditioned to feel comfortable sleeping in a cave. He yeah. needs to recreate the setup of what that felt like for him until yeah. he's comfortable enough to sleep on a comforter. Yes, 100 percent. It's so you're just like. Yep fuck like there's a long road ahead of you sir like (laughs) yeah it's it's totally um it's like this thing where it's equally like the triumph of like human adaptability and how you know we are actually incredibly resilient creatures but also like everything leaves a mark totally and i find that yeah i there was controversy i mean on a relative scale but i feel like people complained a lot at the time and people still cite this as an example of like oh the trailer gives away the ending all the trailers mm. for Castaway had the scene with him in the plane and Nick Sershi saying we had a funeral and he says what was in the casket. Mm. Like, and and people were like, why would you put that in the fucking movie? And Zemeckis's line, which His I, I kind is of so funny. agree with, he's like, first of all, we've done so many like surveys on this. People want to know. They want to be told exactly what they're getting. They pretend that yeah. they don't. 
but I've been in these fucking meetings with the market it's research so and the focus yeah. groups. They always respond better. And this is an expensive movie with one yeah. guy on an island. And the other thing is, like, it's like fucking McDonald's. Like, people want the comfort of understanding what yeah. they're signing up for. Um, right. But but the other thing is, and I, I haven't heard of him say this. He said, like, it's Tom Hanks in a movie about a guy who gets stranded on an island. He's going to make it back. No one thinks he's not right. going to make it back. Right, yeah. Like, I understand yeah. we could lie to you and pretend like it's ambiguous, but people mm-hmm. fucking know. It's a big studio movie. Yeah. I'm adding yeah. in a lot more fucks. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm like, oh, Zemeckis really went in there. <laughs> I do think to some degree this movie would not have been as big a hit if they didn't reveal that in the trailer because mm. it makes it easier to watch the struggles knowing True. like he's going to overcome as you said, yeah. the movie becomes about like, oh, it's like the the human spirit, how much we can conquer yes. anything. It makes if it more family appropriate. And a Christmas, totally. a Christmas movie, obviously, like versus like this is going to be an intense fucking grind of a movie. It's not like the fucking the, Revenant, know. yeah, exactly, right. exactly, right. exactly. Right, they kind of needed to telegraph there was going to be a happy ending in order for audiences to sit through two hours of silence and yeah. ice skate uh, awesome. root canals and shit. Um, what would the Revenant version of the ending, happy ending, be? What? <laughs> he ju- he sails to another island, and there's just like a pyramid of skulls, and then he looks right at the camera. I don't know. <laughs> I was gonna the say- end of the Revenant, he looks right at the camera. I I, I do think it's almost. It, I almost applaud it. Where I'm like, damn, just, that's your Is ending. He actually, that's so funny. Yes, he looks right at the camera. Hugely exhausted by that movie. I was like, it's just exhausting. give them their fucking Oscars and go. Just Hard- take your Oscar <laughs> and leave. Harvest of agrees. I call that movie. Art house jackass. Yeah, I'm just like boo boo. I'm obsessed with interview too. I love him. I think he's brilliant. And like, I love, ugh, I just, I love like basically all of his movies. I like whatever. But, um, but I remember watching that and being like, just please give Leo his Oscar. Maybe he'll relax. Like, that, that is, he, he Leo needed now? to yes. relax. Leo yeah. fully needed to oh, relax. Okay. And, and look, you I, watch like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and you're like, great, have some fun. You yeah. can kick back now. Pressure's off. Get it, girl. That's how yeah. I, I will. <laughs> say, I will confess. I only saw The Revenant one time, and I remember finding it a total grind and not yes. really yeah. digging it at all. Yeah. I occasionally think about it. Um, like I'm mostly about the like the sort of first half hour with the big battle and like all this mm. fucking landscape. And I'm like, man, maybe I should watch that again. Like I bet it looks good. Like you know, I've I've been it thinking yeah, like. Uh, but anyway, I have not yet. I, I have no desire to ever see it again. It's the ultimate. I get it. I see what you're doing there. Movie for mm-hmm. me. That's the one where I would say that at the round table. And then Ira too would say, who would let this guy in at the round table? Uh, <laughs> You'd be like, seize him. Yeah. Get his ass uh, out of here. All right. Um, guys, I have, to, I have about like 10 more minutes before I have yes. to. Yes. yes. I was about to say, game. let's play the box um, office game. Because, uh, yes, I, I was. Uh, uh, this movie was a humongous hit. I feel like it broke records for a christmas release at the time um Ooh, no. and it was one of the highest grossing films of the year i remember because i grew up such a box office nerd my dad telling me it had either the biggest three day or five day for a christmas movie at that point in time wow i mean i'm looking at the number and it's not insane uh it did really well like i mean yeah. like the movie made uh how much money jesus i'm sorry one second um 200 the movie made uh 420 million dollars worldwide like i mean like you know it was a huge hit it opened at 28 and then the next week it made 33 or whatever you know so like remember when that used to happen 
Yeah. Yeah. That sort yeah. of Christmas thing of like, oh yeah, this movie's just going to stick around. It's and keep, the and third. In the first weekend. Crazy. That was the It's other the third thing. biggest I movie mean, of the year after so Mission it, Impossible Grinch. 2 and Gladiator. Oh, oh, okay. Worldwide. Wasn't Grinch? Grinch, Grinch might have been the biggest domestic domestically, right? Because that yeah. thing f- was not received worldwide. Right? No. Yes. No. Uh, not, the rest the of the world had about the Grinch. taste yeah. that year. The number two film at the box office, Christmas 2000, Griffin, also features Helen Hunt. And what Women Want. It's What Women Want. She was in the number one and number two movie. That's hilarious. No it's wonder they were like, want. get rid of her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she she owned Christmas. All right, yeah. so the so that's what we've talked about. Yeah, how, how the Hunts stole podcast. Christmas is what they should have called it. Well, exactly. <laughs> uh, number three, Griffin is, yeah. and you. By the way, you correctly guessed Grinch is still in there. Grinch is four. So still the Grinch Jim Carrey Grinch, the Ron Howard Grinch. Yes, number three. Okay, uh, it's an actor you like. It's a hmm, sort of like a fantasy comedy drama. I don't know, fantasy like. Family drama. Hmm. 2000s fantasy family drama. Is it The Family Man? It's The Family Man, which I saw wow. on a plane with Nicolas Cage and Taya Leone. I remember it being bad. Uh, yeah, kind of kind of crummy. It's a Brett Ratner movie. I was going to say, uh, I'm not going to stand for it too hard. But how exciting. It, it is I remember it being far in the cheesy. world. Brett Ratner's it's best like, film. It's like he's rich. He's like a rich evil guy and he wakes up yes. and, and it's like, oh, what if I'd like married my high, my school, high school sweetheart, sweetheart. and I have a yeah. nice family, right? Oh, like that's it, right? Like that's the whole movie. Yes. I think it's a sweet movie. It is the most unratnery Ratner film. Uh, and it's kind not, of an uncaged cage as well, right? I, like it's a pretty my, calm cage. This is my movie. big take on it as someone who was trying to watch all the cages. Uh, it, it's, I think the, time he most successfully played just a normal person right usually when you ask him to just play a guy that's when he sort of short circuits i remember a scene where he like argues with his like gas station buddies he like works i don't know he like has some blue collar job and they're like saying that the nets are going to win the title and he's like the nets and then they all look at him he goes "Eh, the nets are due the nets are due that's the only thing i remember out of family man of course that's the only thing i remember that poster um, um, you're right here. Okay. He's standing. Yes. Yes. It's very similar to his poster for the weatherman. Another movie he made. Oh yeah. That, that's a movie. Um, I love. I know you do. All right. So number four is Grinch. Number five is a fairly high concept rom-com that I recently rewatched and it, it holds up big movie star rom-com. It's a stupid oh, movie. What is it? Take the gas. I think. Is it sliding doors? It's not sliding doors. That Ooh. is a very high concept rom com. That yeah. is the highest concept of rom com. <laughs> so it's a lower. I do lower not concept. know if I do not know if sliding doors holds up. I have not seen that movie in a long time. I saw it like maybe seven years ago, and I was like, love. <laughs> <laughs> Need to rewatch. Um. Okay. Uh. It's sort of like I don't know. I mean, it's a to be clear, it's a silly ass movie. Um. Hmm. Big movie star. Shallow House. Not shallow how. Not shallow okay. how. You're you're in you're in the Gwyneth zone. Get out of the I need Gwyneth to go away zone. Away from the zone, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, think darker hair. Um, Is it a Julia Roberts movie? No, no. Is it a Bullock? It's a Bullock. Sandy it's a Bullock. Bullock. It's a Bullock 
high It's a concept. movie that shouts out the day after my birthday in its most iconic line. Sandra Bullock, number five at the box office. High so concept. Summer high. birthday, right? Miss Congeniality? Miss Congeniality. Oh, wow. the, what's the perfect date? April 25th. Yeah. Not because too hot. Because it's too not too hot, not too cold. Exactly. All you need, All you need is jacket. a light jacket. <laughs> David, you threw me off because I don't think of that as a rom-com. Me too, yeah. It's not really a rom-com. I don't know how to, I guess it's just a comedy. It's sort of hard to describe because yeah. I almost said action comedy, but it's like, it's not like there's really action. Yeah, yeah. She just it's like is a, an FBI agent. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a cop comedy. <laughs> it's like, uh, right, it's, a it's like a, a cop pageant comedy. <laughs> <laughs> that is a With romantic like, overtones. Great I rewatched it idea. and I'm, I love yeah. it. it. It was, it's just like, you know, Kane is locked in. Like everyone's just having fun. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's just, it's just, it's just sort of very easy to, I mean, I, that, I, I, uh, we, Heather Burns is fantastic. Oh, the great Heather Burns. Was this its opening weekend? Uh, this is its opening weekend. It's opening at number five. And it's going to like have point. huge legs. It right. really stuck around. Because I remember yeah. like everyone thinking it looked hacky, it opening low. And then like three weeks later, people were like, that movie's actually good. Yeah. And then it ended up making a hundred million dollars. It just like right. stayed and that. stayed and stayed and grew. And then I feel like it's only grown in, grown in estimation. And then they made a second one and immediately went, that was the mistake. We shouldn't have. Yeah. Right. Like, I've never seen the sequel. High. It's really not good. The only good thing mm. they did was hire Regina King, and then that's after that. Great. It's yeah, armed you know. and fabulous, right? Anyway, so that's the top five. You've also got Emperor's New Groove. Oh, uh, so you've good. got uh, Dracula Two Thousand. Never forget with uh, Gerard Oof, Butler that's as Dracula. A tough one. <laughs> what if Dracula was in Two Thousand? Uh, yeah. You've got Vertical Limit with Chris O'Donnell. Uh, climbing oh, mountains. You have crouching tiger beginning. It's, uh, you know, that movie like changed Cinderella my run. life. Hell like, yeah. That's when I was like Asian film. <laughs> what, what's going on <laughs> over there? Like, Let's check it out. Just like, yeah, I was just like, Oh, ah. hey. oh, I see. You know? They make the best movies in Asia. I had no idea. Well, this is and fun. I think that was when my, like um, my John Woo, Chalyan fat, like life started. Sure. And then like in high school, it was like Bong Joon-ho in Korean film, like after, right after that. And into college. Um, Oh man, you guys should do a Bong Joon-ho. Like I'm obsessed with him as everyone I've ever met. We, knows, but we, he was we in our March Madness bracket where we like mm. let people vote on which director we're going to do. And we were expecting that he was going to win and Zemeckis uh, beat him, which, which was kind of a surprise. It's the only time um, that's going to happen. That was nice to exactly. Uh, <laughs> I, I do we'll, love Zemeckis, yeah, but yeah, we'll, we'll do Bong uh, at some point. No question. Um, yeah. Uh, what was the thing I was going to say? Oh, out of curiosity, what is Crouching Tiger up to at this point, the Three? last weekend of it, December? Six million dollars. It's got. And yeah. what weekend know, was it? This is its third weekend. It has. It's wow. and it's going to make a hundred and twenty-eight million dollars. Oh, like so, it's just, like these are just like yeah. there's so many box office performances in this ten that just don't happen anymore. Like Castaway opening to. 20 whatever and then making more making the next 200 weekend, plus and right. then making yes. 200 yeah. miscongeniality opening at five and ending up at a hundred million dollars like yeah i miss yeah. when movies had time to breathe yeah same yeah, yeah and really god like even like titanic went from made more money every weekend pretty much yes. for and it was in theaters for like six and, months until like freaking april yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. it's why um all right we're done yeah. 
Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, Thank you for having seriously. me. I'm, I'm like so excited. I hope this was like good. <laughs> I hope this oh, was a good episode. It was, it was a great um, episode. Come back so- anytime. Yes. I'm starting a podcast actually. Really? Which should be hilarious. Yeah, it's so niche. So uh, along with my Korean, um, my love of Korean film, I started watching like Korean dramas when I was like 17. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like for a couple of years, like stopped around when I was like 19, 20. But then the pandemic started and I was like, oh, I have time for this, these long ass episodes. And then my friend was talking to her, and we were, we were basically, long story short, we're doing a K drama watch podcast. That oh my is God. awesome. <laughs> that's that's also, you know, find your niche, right? Like, that's what podcasts should exactly. be like, just something that people yeah. are obsessed with. Exactly. It's so silly, but I'm very excited about it. Uh, that, keep your amazing. eyes killed for that. And uh, I very much look forward to seeing Candyman in theaters. Me too. Yes, I mean, absolutely. I'm not going to watch it again. I've seen it too many times, but I'm excited <laughs> for everyone else to see it um, in theaters. Has um, that been, yeah. I mean, we need to end the episode, but like, I, I can't imagine what the last uh, uh, six months have felt like for you with that mm. movie, like being so close to coming out and all the ups and downs of that. Whew, yeah, it's been a crazy year. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's been really insane. But I'm, thankfully, like enough people could see it so I can get my next job and, you know, move on with my life at least until it comes out. So it's been, it's been good. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. Um, look forward to it. Look forward to uh, pestering you into being on the show again. Um, <laughs> and also pester us to do trivia. Um, yeah. And I want to pester all of our listeners to rate, review, subscribe. Thank you. And I want to thank Andrew Guido for our social media, Lane Montgomery for our theme song, uh, Joe Bone and Pet Rounds for our artwork. Uh, go to blankies.rev.com for some real nerdy shit and patriot.com, patreon.com. I said patriot.com. Don't go to patriot.com. It's do probably that. terrible. Uh, but do go to patreon.com slash blank check for blank check special features. We're watching the alien movies, doing commentaries on them. Uh, and tune in next week for the Polar Express. Hey, all yes, aboard! Yes, we all aboard for the weird. The weird shit is coming. Here we go. The weird shit is coming. Is Beowulf chugga, chugga. after Polar Express? Choo-choo. Then Beowulf. Yep. And yep. then, then, then Christmas, Christmas Carol, Carol with Jim Carrey. It's all yes. kinds of stuff. Oh my god! He makes stuff. a little glassy-eyed. Yeah. Christmas sandwich with a, a slab of ale in the middle. Wow. Yeah, right. What a I mean, weird right. fucking dude. Uh, and as always, for the record, we still just have a fourth window on our Zoom screen that is a Wilson volleyball propped in front of Ben's computer. <laughs>